the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 749. That is Siete, Cuatro, Nueve of the Agostino Zynga show with me, your host, Agostino Zynga. Hope you're well. I hope you are doing swimmingly. I'm doing pretty good right now. I'm recording this very, very early Monday morning, very, very late Sunday evening, depending on where you might be. I'm also recording this after United won 2-1 against Luton Town away from home. A terrible performance, but a really good result. I'm not really going to go into it right now. I'll probably talk about it in the next episode, so don't worry about that. If you guys are out there who hate some of my football commentary, I'll save that for the next episode. But whenever United win, even if the performance is terrible, it really does make me feel a lot better for the weekend. But this past weekend... I've been watching a lot of Mindhunter. Yes, you guessed it. The hit series from Netflix, which for some reason was cancelled or put on ice. I'm not really too sure why, but it legitimately was one of their best original quote-unquote series that they put out in maybe recent years. And I just remembered watching it back, the brilliance of Mindhunter and how brilliantly it kind of captured, encapsulated, personified, um, you know, displayed um, that whole genre of true crime, um, you know, it's kind of origin stages and people's obsession with serial killers and stuff without being too celebrate, without being too um, celebratory of the serial killers themselves, highlighting some of the voices of the victims, talking about how difficult it was for police to kind of get a handle on the situation when it was first sort of like bubbling up and maybe you know, in the modern way, in the modern terms, because obviously the serial killers throughout the history of time, but in terms of the modern depiction of serial killers, that late 70s, 80s period, there was a lot of kind of, you know, crazy things going on societally, politically, um, economically, that was, you know, race tensions, all these things were kind of affecting the way that the police were doing their job. And just frankly, just to put it frankly, police back then weren't that good police back then just weren't that good they didn't have the resources so a lot of people were able to get away with some really heinous crimes that you probably would never be able to get away with now sometimes i think about it similar to like i'm into the creative space i'm into the creative scene and there's this common held belief that art nowadays isn't as good as it once was in the 70s or the 80s which is probably makes a lot of sense right imagine first discovering 35 millimeter film Imagine first discovering 8mm film. Imagine first discovering, you know, mixed media and all these kind of interesting performance and video art kind of processes that you can do to kind of put out your message or display your art or showcase it in any way. Doing it the first time, it's always going to feel electric as opposed to the, you know, one millionth time down the road. So it makes sense. And there's also this adage that back in the day, 
um, you know, there was just tension. There was this electricity in here because of the sex, because of the drugs, because of the crime. It was just another level of creativity was being spurned out of a reaction to the environment. Like think of some of the landscapes that you remember, the scenescapes from like, you know, 70s New York right it looked like a scene out of a world war ii movie right some of the buildings were decrepit were falling over each other crime everywhere but most likely if you speak to people who lived around that era right 70s 80s maybe towards the early 90s they'd probably tell you that that was probably the funnest time ever to live in new york because things were just electric things were just risque right you didn't know if you were stepping outside if you were going to step on a needle if you're going to get shot in the face if you're going to catch an std if you're going to get hiv you had no idea what was going on when you stepped outside but that's what made it fun and maybe nowadays we're just too sanitized we're too nerfed right we're too safe and things are a little bit boring so that might be part of the reason why things are the way they are but i was just looking back thinking around those kind of times like you could have probably gotten away with so much crime back then. The police back then, how they're depicted in Mindhunter. Again, I know it's a TV series. It's not an accurate depiction of how they do their job. But the way the police were depicted in Mindhunter, you could have probably gotten away with so much crime back then because of their inability to connect certain dots, because of their refusal to look a bit deeper into things, because of this almost binary thing they had in their mind about good and evil, right? There was no like, there's there's like bad guys and good guys. There was no sort of like middle ground. It was really interesting to sort of like see that depicted in the series. And, you know, and obviously the characters, the development of them, the threads for along the series, like what an incredible, incredible TV series. I really do wish and hope they bring it back. But I am doing this quite often where I'm kind of going back into the archives and re-watching loads of stuff that I kind of loved just to kind of, you know, remind myself at one time TV was amazing because for the last few months, I've also been putting myself through hell, watching some absolute diabolical crap. Like the other day, I tried to watch the first two episodes of Halo and I was like, oh my God, I need to shoot myself in the face. Number one, why is Master Chief got his helmet off? right first 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 already fucking minus mark on the halo series why is master chief taking off his helmet why why is that necessary then you think about it you think okay practically most likely that actor isn't going to take that role if he can't take off his helmet right as as for in terms of exposure and to get his face out there he's going to want to be able to people to see his face so that's the only reason why he gets a role in the first place that series probably doesn't get greenlit if you can't have a hunky dude take off his helmet in a big fucking moment of the fucking show so it's really annoying to see that they've ruined such a legendary game on the first instance, right, a legendary a legendary video game for most of us out there, on the first hurdle by removing the helmet from the main character of the series just to appease this, you know, this infatuation people have with having hunks on TV and something. Just tell the story, depict the story in the truest way possible, and most likely you're going to get that moment you want anyway. Like, it's just annoying. So um, I'm going back in the archive, watching all the old stuff. Um, I've got, I'm going to also watch Sopranos again and The Wire um, and maybe The Shield because I still maintain The Shield might be one of the best cop dramas of all time. Second only, I forgot what the name of the show was, but there was a show I used to watch. It was a crime show. It was Canadian. It was French Canadian actually. I think it was. Let me see if I can find it. French Canadian um, police drama, and it was. In, it might be close to the Shield. I swear to God, it might be close to the Shield. It was called like Nine Two or something. Was it Nine Two? Let's see if I can find it. Um, it was called like Nine Two or Nine O or something like that, and it was incredibly good, incredibly good. 
for a French TV for, for that for that sort of series. And again, I'm somebody that's watched The Shield. I've watched flipping. Um, I've watched um, obviously The Wire and a few other TV series here in the UK that's also done well. I can't exactly get off top. What, 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 let's see. Let's see if I can find a French Canadian. Let's see if I can find it on on flipping Google. That's it. It's called um, Nineteen Two. That's the one. Nineteen Two. This series here might be legitimately one of the best police dramas I've ever watched in my entire life. And I do recommend if you're a fan of police dramas like I am, please check out Nineteen Two. It's this series right here. 192 is a Canadian police procedural crime television series developed by Bruce M. Smith based on a Canadian French language series of the same name created by Rial Bousset and Claude Luglar or Luglay. I don't know how you pronounce his name. So that's probably why it's a good show then. It's based on a series of books. That might be why it's so good. It was produced by Sphere Media in association with Bell Media, blah, 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 blah incredible show incredibly good tv show definitely recommend you check that out if you're a fan of police dramas and again something that you don't really get this level of quality oh and this guy um one of the guys in it is a dude from i think from the series called letter kenny i think is it letter kenny letter kenny that that comedy people love um the, the white dude here on the left so i recommend you check it out really cool um loads of stuff about corruption you know crime um you know uh ambition you know, the standard stuff, right? Drugs, gangs, all this sort of stuff, all kind of interwoven. It's really flipping good. Really, 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 really good. But again, what's close to it nowadays? FBI, that new series, that's not really good. I tried to watch that and I was horrible. SWAT is absolutely horrendous. NCIS is kind of falling off a cliff. Like all these police, police, police procedural dramas, as they call them, aren't really that great anymore and i think a lot of it has to do with the writing a lot of it has to do with you know these kind of you know what you call it these are uh, political kind of narratives they have to kind of imbue and everything where they always have to be some sort of hero woman who's stronger than all the guys it's just like it's a nonsense tropes they kind of inject there they don't really add anything to the show but they just give you loads of like social virtue signaling points when really if you focus on just telling a good story you're going to by proxy or by default, sorry, you're going to be able to lift up some minority underrepresented voices anyway in the process. That's what you end up doing. You don't need to kind of shoehorn it in and have this like badass woman. Just write a good, well-rounded woman in a series and most likely that character will rise to the top just by default of kind of the series kind of continuing on. But they try strong arm stuff. They always try to kind of, you know, um, crowbar those things in and it ends up taking away from the quality of the shows but recommend you check out 19.2 really cool series i actually might have watched this again i might actually put this on my list of things to watch again because i remember a lot of people died in this a lot of really quick a lot of great cliffhangers and twists and stuff so i might actually rewatch 19.2 um i definitely checked out and finished mindhunters over the weekend incredible series i can't recommend it more incredible series i can't recommend it more on top of that, I've also been thinking a lot about Alexei Navalny, RIP Alexei Navalny, staunch critic of um, Vladimir Putin and that whole regime, strong anti-corruption politician. He might have his own skeletons in his own closet. I know there's some people out there who are hypothesizing that Alexei Navalny might have been an undercover CIA plant of some ilk or something. I don't really know where to kind of go with that sort of stuff. But regardless, he had balls of steel, way bigger balls of steel than I would have. He left um, Russia. He was able to kind of, you know, he kind of exiled himself. And then he voluntarily went back to face the music, knowing full well he was going to go to prison and knowing full well, most likely he would never see um, the outside of that prison again. 
he kind of he kind of signed his own death warrant um, for lack of a better term and having a wife i don't think he has a family to be fair so that might have helped um knowing that she's out there and kind of willingly putting himself in the line of that sacrificing himself for the greater good you have to give that guy a lot of credit you have to kind of respect him and you have to kind of just you know honor his legacy um of how you know depending no you have to kind of just honor the fact that he you know he was around and shit and just kind of take the whole instances as a kind of humbling um, occurrence to kind of remind you of how terrible things are out there. Um, especially if you're somebody like myself who kind of loves to moan a bit, um, you, you could be living in far worse places, right? Especially um, in a place like Russia. Well, to make things even scarier, to make things even scarier, look at this story courtesy of Sky News. Allies accuse Russian authorities of doing everything they can to avoid handing over his body to the family. So Russian authorities let it be known that Alexei Navalny died of some sort of natural causes. He had some sort of heart attack when he was walking in the yard and then he collapsed and the medics tried to help him. He wasn't responding and unfortunately passed away. Well, they didn't perform an autopsy yet or an official one. The family wanted to get the body back themselves to perform an autopsy or to, you know, basically um, be able to bury him. And the Russian authorities are purposely withholding, withholding the body from the family. So obviously, this kind of, you know, the immediate response would be like, oh, the reason why they were holding is because something dodgy happened. So imagine that. Imagine a political opponent, a staunch political opponent, ends up dying in mysterious circumstances in prison. And instead of just releasing the body to the family, they're purposely withholding it, which probably means, most likely than not, don't be surprised if the body ends up getting cremated you know in in a mistake right in a procedural mistake some sort of accounting error some sort of paperwork you know malfunction leads to that body getting cre getting cremated i don't think they're going to be able to get the, that body intact in the way that they probably hope they would i don't think so but let's read the flipping article courtesy of sky news spokeswoman kira yamishi confirmed that mr navalny the most prominent face of the russian opposition for putin had died at the remote arctic penal colony on friday imagine how imagine what the conditions are like in a russian penal colony obviously they're always terrible anyway but imagine what it must be like to be serving out your sentence part of it in a russian penal colony imagine what kind of work are they making you do breaking bricks in half mining with your bare hands scooping one pile of snow to the other pile of snow can you imagine what you have to do in that kind of place god damn it she claimed the 47 year old had been murdered however she said lawyers of mr navalny had been told by authorities that no crime had been found following an investigation meanwhile mr navalny's mother um luyud luyud miller luyud miller on Saturday, he traveled to the prison where her son was being held up until his death. That's obviously Alexei Navalny there, looking far more healthy than the picture that we saw of him in prison. She was told by prison officials that her son died on the 16th of February, 2017 local time as a result of sudden death syndrome, according to a prominent Navalny ally, Ivan Zadov. Sudden death syndrome. However, authorities have not yet released his body. His family and allies have also been driven around in circles, attempting to locate it according to his mother. She said Mr. Navalny's mother had been told by a prison official that her son's body had been taken to the nearby city of Salad of, of Salakhard as part of a probe into his death. That's obviously Mr. Navalny's mother there. But when she and Mr. Navalny's lawyers arrived to the morgue, it was closed and the worker said the body was not there. <laughs> Honestly, man. And this is all on the backdrop, right, of Tucker Carlson going to Russia and basically running propaganda for them. 
basically he was trying to make it seem as if oh even though these guys live in an authoritarian country the conditions are way better than they are here in the in the u.s where he is imagine being that kind of bold being that unashamed being that lucky in scruples that you go to your country's mortal enemies no you got you travel to the your country's mortal enemies country and you basically go and run propaganda for them and you know and espouse all the benefits that they have there of, of like cheap food and all this sort of malarkey it's like brah okay fair enough you can get loads of groceries for a hundred dollars but do you really want to live in a do you really want to live in a non-democratic country like that where if you do rise up and you are a legit you know uh, opposition to Putin's regime that you legitimately might get killed or you legitimately might put your rest of your family your friends in danger is that really a life worth living especially when you think about some of the protesters right these protesters went to go and do a silent vigil about Alexei Navalny to honor him right and he's passing they put some flowers out somewhere just silently saying not saying anything not even chanting none, nothing and police pulled up and started dragging them all away from the vigil and started throwing them in the back of fucking trucks and shit can you imagine that you can't even have a silent vigil just honoring somebody with some flowers and police arrest you how long for imagine god damn it hours later miss um Yamishi said the lawyers have, for the politician were told that Navalny's body would not be handed over to his relatives until an investigation to his death had been completed. So the Russian authorities are refusing to hand over um, Navalny's body. The results will supposedly be available next week. It's obvious that they are lying and doing everything they can to avoid handing over the body. So either they're handing over, the, they're, they're working on the body now, for lack of a better term, not to be crude, either they're working on it, trying to do what they can to change the autopsy results right i don't know how if that's possible i guess that you can do that post po, um po, post-mortem right you can probably um uh, or post-death right you can probably damage the body to a way to kind of you know throw people off the scent of what actually happened so if somebody got strangled you could probably do something to the body to make it look like it wasn't a strangulation maybe it was a point whatever you can do something so that's probably what they're doing or most likely my my guess is that they'll probably end up cremating the body. The Russian authorities will find a way to fuck something up in the transport, cremate the body by, by quote-unquote mistake, and then the thing, whole thing will just be swept under the rug. I think that's what they're going to try and do. She accused the investigation committee in Salat Card of driving us around in circles and covering their tracks as only hours before they were told that the investigation had already been concluded and nothing criminal had been um, established. Here's obviously a vigil, a little thing honouring his death. Russian Federal Penitentiary Services reported on Friday that Mr. Bani felt sick after a walk and became unconscious at the penal colony in the town of Karp in the Yamolo Nenets region, which is within the Arctic Circle. Look at that. More than 400 people detained. Who would want to live in Russia, bro? More than 400 people have been detained in Russia. Meanwhile, more than 400 people um, since the moment Mr. Navalny's death has been became public, according to the Independent Human Rights Organization, the arrests are half of which were made on Saturday, were made across 32 Russian cities. 400 arrests over 32 cities. Look at the police. Look at the uniforms. Look at the helmets. Look at the visors. They mean fucking business, bro. They look legit in it, <laughs> like guns, bats, pepper spray, but like you know, bulletproof vest, that proof vest. I'm assuming nice warm coats. Like <laughs> these guys mean business. Like you don't play games in Russia. You play games, you get your head caved in. Forget you know, forget what happened to George Floyd. You you, you think that's awful? They must like for, even Russian. It's probably not even that lethal. It probably won't even go that lethal straight away. They probably just punish you slowly. 
if ever you see pictures of people in prison in Russia, one thing you notice straight away is that they, they are incredibly skinny. They probably feed them just about enough to keep them alive. It's not like prisons here where people go into a prison in the West and they become actually, they actually get fatter, right? <laughs> that doesn't happen over there. Over there, you get, you know, things happen. Things definitely go a bit differently over there. So um, RIP Alexei Navalny, but the update here, um, according to the Telegraph, says Navalny's body was found with bruised, um, found to be bruised in the Arctic morgue. Let's read this one quickly. It says the bruised body of Alexei Navalny, the Russian opposition leader, has been found in the hospital morgue in the Arctic. So they finally got it now, right? The paramedic um, told the Russian authorities, um, media, that there were bruises on Navalny's head and chest when his body was brought into the Salek District Clinical Hospital. So supposedly he suffered from some sort of heart thing that let him collapse in, which is why he died. But now they're finding bruising on his head and his body that is probably, you know, similar to somebody getting hit or assaulted. <sighs> Such injuries described by those that we saw them appeared from seizures. Okay, they say, okay. The other paramedic said, the person conv convulses, they tried to restrain him, the bruises appear they also said that he could also had a bruise on his chest that is still tried to resuscitate him and he died most likely from cardiac arrest. Russian prison officials said that Navalny died on Friday after falling ill during a short walk at the IK3, a notoriously brutal prison in the Russian Arctic. Navalny's mother failed to find his body in the morgue in Salik. If he did die of natural causes, like randomly, they would just probably release his body because it would have just done them a favour. Because for sure, they're already planning to take him out anyway. But if he actually did die of natural causes, they'll release his body a long time ago. The fact that they're not releasing his body is probably proof that he didn't die of natural causes and the Russian government have played a part in it in some regard. They need to ask Nina Kravitz what happened. Hopefully someone gets in touch with Nina Kravitz and finds out what she knows. <laughs> Maybe Nina Kravitz can call up Putin and find out what the deal is. Um, reporters said that no autopsy had yet been performed. They also said that two scheduled, sorry, two unscheduled flights from Moscow had landed on Saturday in Salek, possibly with autopsy specialists. The first jet landed about six in the evening. It was met by cars and the second one arrived an hour later. Russian observers said that the state autopsy specialists may have been flown in from Moscow so that they can deliver a death certificate that pleases the Kremlin. They also said that it was unusual to send the body of a dead prisoner from IK3 to hospital morgue as Navalny had been there um, rather than the municipal one. Navalny was with the pictures most. So yeah, let's see what happens. Um, either way, RIP Alexei Navalny. Incredibly sad to hear of his passing, but of course not surprised when you consider how much of a serious um deadly lethal um authoritarian fucking vladimir putin is he really doesn't play no games he doesn't not like any opposition he doesn't like to be questioned really for lack of a better term you saw a lot of that in the tucker carlson interview he almost had this he almost had this flipping um he almost had this look of um despise he, it's almost like he despised tucker carlson his, you know, his, his occupation as a journalist, he kind of, you know, looked down on him as if like, you know, how dare you come here and ask me any questions? How dare you make me justify the way that I kind of govern my country in any way, shape or form? It was really kind of interesting to see the contempt in his face as he was talking to Tucker. Yeah, I get it. Tucker Carson is a piece of shit. He's kind of, you know, easy to hate, right? In the Brendan Shaw way. But it, it was quite weird to see that playing out in real time. So um, RIP Alexei Navalny, really, really RIP to him. It's really sad to see um, that happen and we hope we hope going forward that this might 
be a change that Russia needs to kind of get things, you know, back into some sort of democratic way. Unlikely, to be honest. Um, that probably will only happen when Putin passes. And even then, there's no guarantee. There's probably somebody they're probably grooming underneath him to kind of take the reins and continue doing what he's doing now. So it's kind of looking peak for them. It really is kind of looking peak for them. So, you know, thoughts and feelings go out to Alexei Navarro and his family. Can't, un, you know, can't begin to understand or, you know, try to figure out how they're feeling right now, bro. You're trying to you know, privately mourn your passing of your family and friend and then it's being blasted all over the flipping news networks. The government is running cover, hiding the body, all this sort of malarkey is happening. It's just, ugh. You know what I mean? You kind of want to lay the person to rest and, you know, they're definitely not being laid to rest right now because, you know, they're going through all this flipping situation. So, big up, um, Eleni. Appreciate Free you. Palestine. No more is propaganda. And indeed, my friend, indeed, I agree with you. Free Palestine until the end. Free Palestine until the blood clot end. You get me? Free Palestine and all my brothers and sisters over there. Free Palestine. So let's continue on. Um, another one I was talking about here. So I quickly saw this and I thought this was hilarious because um, this kind of speaks to this weird place we're in now in culture. I think most people are understanding now that the whole anti-council culture people out there used it as a ruse to basically signal amplify themselves, right? To put themselves up on a pedestal, put themselves up on a soapbox and to basically make themselves more famous. Like, I think at first it was a little bit, you know, malicious council culture. It was done in a way to sort of like bring down certain people and to maybe allow the people who were doing the counselling to take their positions because some of them probably felt like they were unrecognised geniuses who never got the praise or the chances or the opportunities that they probably thought that they were deserving of. So what better way to take that chance than to bring somebody else down and lift yourself up so cool happened that way but i do think it had some utility because as i said before as much as i dislike and hate counterculture i think the utility in it is when it's a crime i would say crime when it's in a when it's an incident that can't be punishable in the court of law but you can maybe let that person suffer some sort of reputational damage, right? That's important. If the person embarrassed you when you were coming up or they abused you or made you feel less than, if you're having an opportunity to kind of like air them out and expose what they did to them, what they did to you nowadays where people are a little bit more empathetic to that kind of, you know, cause, you could probably make them suffer some reputational damage and that might be, that might make you sleep better at night to know that, you know, they've, you know, maybe not got a job anymore or that they've, all their news, all their business is plastered all over social media. But on the other side of things, nowadays I'm seeing it's being used more as a ruse, more as a grift, to be honest, to make it seem like the person who's talking about anti-cancer culture is like the primo truth teller. And there's no better example of it than Joe Rogan now. And again, I'm upset about it because I fucking love Joe Rogan. But Joe Rogan's becoming the number one grifter when it comes to this cancel culture lark. It's just annoying because it just goes on and on and on about the same thing. And it's like, hold on, bro. How can you be talking about you're not allowed to say certain things when you just got 20, 250 million from Spotify? before the other 200 million you got before that like how are you being denied the right to say certain things when you are one of the richest people in the world and you have access to most of the people to talk to who you want and you'd never been deplatformed? like how does that make any sense so let's play this clip it features um rogan and chris williamson on his recent podcast talking about um how you can't tell the truth anymore you get punished i think it's incredibly insulting to those of us who actually who actually have to live in the real world so let's see what these guys are talking about because i think this is absolutely stupid so let's play this video Another one would be uh, what makes a woman attractive. Oh. Because the socially acceptable answer to that is one that is untruthful. 
And the problem with this is... What is the socially acceptable answer to that? It would be to do with... Uh, it's about grace and poise. You know, it's anything that isn't big titties. Like, <laughs> if, you say, if you say big titties, right. that's... You failed, right? You can't say big titties. Well, you, you can't, can't say a nice ass. you're single. You can't if you... Who said that, by the way? Who said you can't go on social media and say that the, your preference is big tits? Who said you can't go on social media and say your preference is massive, crazy, fake BBLs? Who said you can't go on social media and say you want a girl with massive dick-sucking lips? Who said you can't say that? People say that all the time. People say that even without saying that by sharing, you know, unlimited amount of images of people that they've never met on their fucking feed. Oh, I've got a crush on this person. This person makes my wee-wee hard. All these sort of stuff. People say it all the time. So what is this notion that you can't say these certain things? It's absolutely preposterous. Yes, you can't go out there and... No, you say, no, you can't. But it's not advisable to go out there and denigrate people who don't fit your fucking vision of beauty, right? Or your preference in order to lift up people that you do like. That's just mean, right? Why would you go out there and purposely call somebody fat and say, oh, I would never fuck you. You're too fat, but I'd fuck this person. There's no need to say that, obviously. But that's just like general manners. There's no need to put somebody down to put somebody else up. You know what I mean? That doesn't make any sense. So I don't get this whole like, oh, you can't say this, you can't. Yes, you can. You can say what the fuck you want. But obviously, you have to face the consequences of what you do say if somebody doesn't like it. That's all. Are worried about acquiring a mate. You can't if you are of a social dynamic that needs to have your job and you have a human resources center that's very stringent. They're very strict about what they allow their people to. It might affect your possibility of getting a promotion. Might affect your standing amongst mm -hmm. the women in the office. You know they don't like when you tell the truth, Chris. You. But that's how most workplaces are. I don't think you could rock into Joe Rogan's studio where he books you as an interviewer and tell him the truth about how he is, tell him the truth about his political opinions, tell him the truth about his worldview, tell him the truth about his unfunny friends. He also wouldn't receive that well. So we all, we're all not really attuned to receiving or to listening to the truth. Radical honesty is radical because most people don't want to hear it. Right. You have to have a semblance of like, you know, manners or semblance of like, um, you know, common decency to tell people certain things in a certain way. And in the workplace, it's no better example of it. if you want to keep your job, which allows you to pay your bills, allows you to flip in, you know, put your kids through school and go on holidays or buy yourself like fancy trainers. It's probably advisable to keep some of your opinions about your female colleagues looks to yourself. Why would you go out there and purposely tell them that they're ugly or tell them that they're fat? Like, why would you do that? It makes no sense. It's not the company that are like stifling your free speech because all you need to do is walk out of that building, go to a bar somewhere with your colleagues who you trust and suddenly you can talk about those things that you want to talk about. Like we all do, right? At work, we don't really, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I'm the kind of person, I don't even gossip or go that crazy on my work slack, on my teams. I don't even do that. I don't even do that. Like, I'm not even going to risk that. I'd rather do it on like a group chat somewhere that's separate or something. But I'm not going to be talking crazy about my colleagues on a fucking company Slack and a team and then get surprised. I know they're not allowed to obviously look inside it, but then get surprised when some of those flipping comments I've made get used um, to kind of, you know, put me down or maybe to kind of discipline me or to, you know, for worse, kind of fire me. Like, it's just common sense. Like, it's not like they're stifling your free speech. It's just you being smart about what you say based on the environment that you're in because everything that you say whenever you say it has consequences even if you say something bad about somebody in the bar and it gets back to people in the office you could have you could face some level of consequence yes it's not fair because you're not at work but you have to be mindful of who you're speaking to you know of who you're speaking to what you're saying and sometimes you have to also be mindful of like saying 
is it worth even talking about? Is it worth even mentioning, really? Does this really do anything for me? Does this advance anything forward? Like, you know, it's not, some things are just, some things are better left unsaid, as they say. Work with women, you can't say, I think women with big asses and big tits are hot as fuck. <laughs> you can't say that. You can't say that, that even though bad. they know that it's true. Yeah. You can't be a good person. You can't be a good person and even admit that. That's what I'm attracted to. The only thing I would say that is probably something that I've noticed that's really interesting as an observation when it comes to like conversation around beauty. I think there is a lack of honesty from women probably generally on social media or in the world about how difficult it is for a man to go from like zero to like a, an eight. I think most women could achieve that through makeup, right? Especially if you got your. Let's assuming that you're. That's assuming that you've got like an average body. You're not super fat. Your assets are where they should be. All that sort of malarkey. A woman could inf- improve their face card tenfold by just you know getting better at makeup and understanding what works best for them, what to accentuate. Men don't really have that. The only thing that we have close to makeup is a beard and a haircut. But then again, you have to still hope that you have a good face because a beard and a haircut isn't going to save you if you look like fucking chin, right? You still need to have a good grill, but you can't improve that grill with makeup as a dude, especially as a straight dude. You can't really do that. So I think there's a lack of um, understanding, lack of appreciation of just how difficult it is for men to go from looking like shit to go from looking like unattractive to attractive. Whereas I think women can do that. An unattractive girl can really take herself from a zero to a six pretty easily. Even she's fat putting on a, some spanks, putting on a nice outfit that accentuates whatever she has as a main asset, improving the makeup that she does. But I don't think men have that leeway. So the reason why, so we don't have that leeway. So I think that's why this is a weird stretch. I know this is a, bear with me, this is a weird stretch. But I think that might be the reason why people get infatuated with the with the gospel of Andrew Tate, with the gospel of Fresh and Fit. Because those guys, as much as they talk about going to the gym, the thing that they talk about the most is money is ascertaining wealth money 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 because they know that the biggest way to improve your chances of who you can get as a mate or as a sexual partner is to increase how much money you make suddenly then you become appealing to everybody it's like that great future quote right um when you've got money you're everyone's type right you're that's i love that fucking quote from him very toxic but it's very true so i think that's why most guys who are stuck and know that they don't have good DNA, they don't have sorry, they don't have good genetics. Um, even if they got a beard and they get a hair transplant, nothing's going to change really because their face and their grill, their posture's all over the place. But if they invest in stocks, if they invest in a startup, if they invest in some fucking dropshipping thing, and they get some money and it improves their fucking appearance on social, they know it inc- it it goes tenfold to increasing their options of the women that they get. So that whole mating relationship processing is completely different for the sexes. It's really different. And that, again, might be the reason why the likes of Andrew Tate and the Fresh and Fit and all those kind of guys have become very prominent with some guys because, you know, some guys are just like, hey, I can't do much. Like, I don't have a good base. Um, my voice is horrible. I've got terrible acne. My hair isn't growing right. All this sort of stuff. But if I just get money, then suddenly I can date fucking models and porn stars, which is what most of them end up doing, which is really funny. When, which, is, which is odd. When punishment for what people say becomes widespread, people will stop saying what they think and instead say whatever is needed to thrive. Right. And this is why limits on speech become limits on sincerity. I think the most concerning thing for me when it comes to limits on speech is definitely for regular people. I think the, the worst thing is that story, that iconic story in that book about that lady that was going to Africa 
people's like, oh, she texts, she, she does a tweet, and the joke is like, oh, I'm I'm going to Africa, um, hope I don't get AIDS. And then by the time she lands, the tweet goes viral, she loses her job, she gets docs, all this sort of shit, right? That I think is way more concerning than some comedian who gets told that their joke is insensitive and they have to apologize. Because regular people having their lives destroyed because of some off-color joke they said on Twitter is fucking awful. That is actual counterculture that we should be care that we should be kind of trying to um, abolish right we should be trying to kind of fight against not these comedians people who use cancel culture as a promotional tool use it as a marketing fucking routine oh my god they won't let me say this here's the joke that netflix wouldn't let me put in their special but all this sort of nonsense they use to kind of build themselves up we don't give a fuck about that i care about the regular folks who can't say what they want to say on social who can't like suit some who can't like have a bit of banter online and shit and then it kind of ends up impacting their real life and then that ends up impacting their relationships their family dynamics all this sort of nonsense i don't care if some comedian can't say a certain joke in a certain special because they can if they want to but they just use it as a ruse to kind of profile and bump themselves up i flipping hate it personally i flipping despise it and i wish it was spot talking about it but i find joe to be interesting because joe has this ability to keep talking about the same thing ad nauseum and not get bored of it like he doesn't get bored of the sound of his own voice when he speaks about counterculture like it's interesting that isn't it like because i know for me i have people on my pod um leave me comments send me emails send me dms numerous dms about how often i repeat myself about how often i repeat a sentence or a story right or to emphasize something is they say how annoying it is and i understand that sometimes i do it on purpose and sometimes i don't do it on purpose but rogan has like five or ten subjects that he just repeats ad nauseum Right, council culture, and um, one thousand top comedians, something about apes, the guy with the fucking what you call it, um, what you call it, Oppenheimer. Like he has these things that he just talks about, like uh, fucking again and again and again. DMT, and it, he doesn't, ne he never gets bored. And I'm wondering if that's probably one of the reasons why he's so successful. That ability to just keep going on and on and on about the same thing just bringing the fucking hits right the the big hits the top 10 hits of rogan it's fucking amazing how he does it it's honestly one of the most impressive things about him so big up rogan big up rogan next i got this clip courtesy of the fire and the kids subreddit guys i really like this clip i'm wondering who do you think comes back first keep in mind what i'm saying here who do you think comes back first do you think kanye gets back into a collaboration partnership with adidas first or do you think crystalia gets back on netflix first who gets back with who first because this joke made me think of it big up tim dylan yeah come on dude i gotta win this bet adidas is they have stockholders they have a whole thing like yeah. i just don't think he comes back to adidas does he have concerts sure no for sure i'll have concerts you know what i mean yeah. is the album is the new album good i didn't hear it well you know who the new oh by the way this is kind of interesting, but do you know who Adidas is using now? Chris D'Elia. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, de I'm dead serious. No. He is. Is it a commercial? No. He's coaching a girls' track team. <laughs> no, Tim, that's not why they're running. <laughs> so who do you think comes back first? I think, honestly, I'm not going to... This sounds dumb. But I think probably Chris D'Elia has way more chance of coming back than Kanye West. I think what we've seen with Kanye West and how he got routinely, how he got fucking cancelled all the way through. 
up and down across the board has been something that we've never seen before because you also have to keep in mind he's also getting sued he's being sued by adidas for like multiple minions because they're accusing him of misusing marketing funds right which is hilarious right he got given the marketing budget and he just pocketed it because he said i am the marketing <laughs> it's just been incredible um but i think netflix would probably be more likely to get back into bed for lack of a better term with chris Delia, despite all the allegations about him being a diddler and a supposed pedophile and an abuser and a rapist and a manipulator and all this some lucky branding young girls documentaries with millions of views with all these details in it and really incriminating flipping you know court cases with loads of you know horrible flipping details i think netflix would probably turn a blind eye to that stuff and get back into business with chris Delia before adidas would ever get in club get back in business with fucking um kanye west and that just goes to show the power the influence and the grip that the jewish community has on certain parts of the you know of business around the world because the way they cancelled him when he came out as a unapologetic anti-semite and a lover of hitler was incredible i've never kind of seen that level of cancellation before especially if you think about how it's still affecting him now it's affecting him now to the point where his his album keeps getting removed from iTunes. Um, there was a few concerts that he had that he was trying to put up before the release of Vultures that got cancelled last minute because of the stuff that he said um, previously about the Jewish people and about obviously Hitler and shit and all the other stuff he said before about the Dillians with fucking Trump and Louis Malarkey. You got to see in real time just how much that affects people obviously Kanye was a bit fortunate because he was able to bank a lot of money before that I think that gave him you know a space and a room to be a little bit like hey fuck you because he had literal fuck you money so he could take those type of chances I think if that happened to anybody else um or if it happened at the beginning of his journey with Adidas he definitely would have been bankrupt by now um because they are absolutely trying to quote-unquote kill him and again even though he said words right Kanye just said words so far the thing I love about Kanye also to be fair is that he's that's why he's my goat no sexual allegation against Kanye whatsoever there's no allegation about Kanye being weird with women about being weird with kids he's basically unblemished in that regard but personality wise interpersonally he does come across like a bit of a cunt I can't even deny even though I'm a Kanye lover and I love him to death and I'll never turn my back on him I think Kanye West isn't the greatest friend to have right he's a bit of a prick but he doesn't do anything like malicious or criminal or evil or disgusting with girls and shit right and he's getting cancelled in a way that you would think he did something like that whereas Chris Lee has been accused of what he got accused of and most likely Netflix will probably get him back especially nowadays considering how they're struggling to get viewers and shit it's probably good for the network or for the platform if they do get him back business with him they have all the articles come out and stuff about Chris Lee being a monster that kind of leads to people watching the whatever he's on series or special and stuff and it kind of boosts their numbers and gets more signups so I would I would be I, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw Chris Lee having a comedy special on Netflix sooner than Kanye West getting back into business with Adidas, which is diabolical when you consider what each person did. It's diabolical. It's really diabolical, but it also goes to show you the real own goal and dumb decision that Kanye did when he did flip in, come out and say the stuff that he said because he was on some mad thing. Uh, he was on some look no one should be cancelled tip i can say what i want if i can't say how i feel then what's the point of living he went out there you know proclaimed how much of an anti-semite he was and um, said the thing that you're not meant to say and now his life is like you know where he basically has to basically appeal to the fans only which is good to be honest i quite like the new kanye now 
where he's like solely based on just entertaining his fans and not kind of trying to fight against the system and convince people that he's a god or whatever it may be because all these fans myself included think he's a god anyway but jesus christ bro um crystal definitely will get back into business with netflix before kanye gets back into business with flipping um adidas next on the list i wanted to speak about this because i thought this is interesting right usually when you're in when you become a professional in your area of expertise or in your craft it usually means that you're a expert in what you're in because you know a professional i always say like i remember people used to ask me sometimes in the creative field how do you like you know it sorry not people used to ask me this is my own sort of like um ad, this is my own sort of like uh, philosophy i think the only time you're allowed to put like artist dj writer painter podcast all this stuff in your bio is when it pays you when somebody pays you for the thing that you do that's when you can put that shit in your bio i think before you're paid it's just a hobby that you're doing just a thing that you do for your free time to keep your brain occupied blah 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 let off some steam but as soon as somebody pays you it doesn't matter if it's five dollars if it's a drink token if it's a taxi fare whatever it is as soon as somebody exchanges some sort of monetary thing for your time that's when you can call yourself a quote-unquote professional and obviously, if you're a professional, it usually delineates that you are a expert in your field. But I've always find Brendan Schaub to be one of the interesting exemptions in that regard, right? He was a former professional UFC fighter. He was a top 15 ranked. Now, it doesn't matter if you think he was good or not. It doesn't matter if you think Brendan Schaub came up in an era in the UFC where the heavyweights weren't that great in general, where the standard fighting wasn't that great. It doesn't matter what you think. On paper, Brendan smashed it. He was a fucking former failed NFL player who didn't really go too far. He then translated that skill set to the UFC, fought at the biggest level, knocked out Mirko Krokop. You know, even though his career ended in fucking tears, he still was able to do that. So amazing he did that. But the one thing that's always really surprised me is his lack of knowledge when it comes to the UFC. He has no ability to break down fights or cards or fighters and make some astute predictions. All these predictions and fight picks are always just completely off to the point where now people on the Fire and the Kids subreddit constantly, whenever he does a fight um, pick for an upcoming UFC card, there are people on that Reddit who will purposely go and bet the opposite. So if he says one person's going to win, they'll bet the other way. And usually they'll win. And somebody put together a spreadsheet, actually, that detailed all these picks. And the majority, I think it was like over 80% of his picks he's got over the years have been wrong. And it's like, don't get me wrong. The UFC is not an exact science. Just because this guy won this fight and that guy lost that fight, it doesn't mean when they get into the ring, the one that won before is going to win. But if you watch enough UFC, it's kind of easy to make astute predictions about how a fight will go oh this person's gonna win this might go to decision this person might get knocked out in this way because you just watch certain fights so you can see how certain people you know styles make fights this person might have a style that might you know um cause the other person problems and vice versa it's not that hard to kind of ascertain so this clip is really funny because prior to um the ufc 298 with headlining card of um the co-main the main event being Ilya toporia versus um volkanovsky most people myself included thought toporia would win not because volkanovsky is terrible but because toporia is obviously a young hungry lying on a come up and volkanovsky's had some 
dog fights. Even though he's won a couple of them, I think he's on like a free loose, free loss, a free loss streak or something at the moment. Now he's had five fights where he's been taken to the darkest waters. Right, he's been knocked out in a couple of them in brutal fashion. He's getting older. Like it, it made sense why most most people would predict that Topuria would win, but maybe not by a devastating knockout like he did in the second round. Maybe I thought it would go to decision, but I never thought it was an un it wasn't like a crazy suggestion to suggest that Topuria would have won. But look at how flipping Brendan Shaw kind of depicts it. It's a really interesting way how he sort of like speaks about the fight before it happened. And again, this is a former UFC fighter, a former professional. Listen to his observation and his pick before the fight happened. But those of you picking Topuria to beat Alexander Volkanovsky, you're just, you're, it's recent bias confirmation. You're, <laughs> I love that also. Recent bias confirmation. He's getting two different terms mixed up into one. Recency bias and bias confirmation. <laughs> Recent bias confirmation. Let's do that one more time. I love that. Recent bias confirmation. Volkanovsky, you're just... You're, it's recent bias confirmation. You're Recency bias, confirmation bias. bias. Confirmation bias. He's melding those two things together, which are two completely different things, by the way, right? You know that, right? Recency bias is obviously you having bias based on what you remember recently. And confirmation bias is you trying to confirm what you're already, like looking for information that already confirms what you think. They're two completely different um, terms, but he's putting them both together and they don't make any sense. But let's continue. You're, you forget how freaking special Volkanovsky is at featherweight. It's not even close. Yaira so again, this is not him having a favorite, which you are allowed to have. This is him saying it's not even going to be close. He's talking about Ilya Taporia as if he's some bum, as if he's some, you know, flash in a pan hype kid that people are making a big noise about because he's flashy, because he's new, but he's not that good. And you guys are underestimating how good Volkanovski is. No, people are saying Volkanovski is amazing, but this kid is special. And Volk has been in some absolute dogfights, absolute dogfights, going from the um, the win he had against Max Holloway. Like that that was, I think, uh, that went the entire five rounds. The flipping, the, the loss he has against um, Makachev, that went the distance. The win he had against um, he, he, um, Yair Rodriguez, that also went, I think, to the third round. The loss against Makachev, um, and that, if I'm not, uh, the loss against Makachev again was, um, if I'm not mistaken, that was a last minute one, right? If I'm not mistaken, he, he didn't have much of a camp. I think he replaced somebody else. I forgot which one it was. And then, of course, Ilya Tapuri won. So if you made a guess that Ilya Tapuri would have beat him, it's not like a bad assumption. And of, of course, whatever we say that, it's not to denigrate Volk. And then, of course, what happens in the fight? What happens in the fight? Of course, you know what happens. Ilya Tapuri wins. Ilya wins in devastating fashion in the second round, you know, with a four-punch combo, basically, right? It was absolutely, like, scary to see um, the, the, the whole sequence play out because, you know, vocals on the floor crumpled and he didn't stand up for a while. But Ilya ends up kind of, you know, winning the belt and knocking up this legend, this fucking beast of a fighter in Volkanovski with this amazing four-punch combo, which wouldn't be a surprise if you watch a lot of Ilya Tapuria. It's not a surprise that he was able to do such a thing to Volk. It's not because Volk is terrible. It's just because of the way the UFC is. One person's advancing in age. One person's coming up in hungry. Like, styles make fights. Volk has had a really crazy run of fights where he's won some, lost some, but they've gone the distance. They've been brutal. They've been spectacular. So his body is probably taking 
taking a lot of wear and tear. I think Volk, if I'm not mistaken, is like 50. No, he's like 35, sorry. I think Taporia is like maybe 26, 27. Like, come on, man. So that's why I'm surprised and I'm shocked when I see Brendan because I can't picture, I can't think of anybody else. Big up, um, NJ Ranger, appreciate you. He truly is the stuttering John of our <laughs> yeah, exactly, generation. Exactly, exactly. He's a dabbler in comedy. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I can't think of anybody else. Big up, Andrew Angel. Appreciate you. I can't exactly. I can't think of anybody else who has who was a professional in their field, but is clueless. Because I know in football, do you guys know in football? Like, there's plenty of footballers who don't watch football, right? I think the most famous one is Ben White the defender for Arsenal who doesn't really like football. He doesn't watch it or kind of talk about it in any way, shape or form outside of him playing for Arsenal. He doesn't, he completely kind of wants to disassociate and disconnect from it when he's outside of, of regular life. Fair enough. But I don't think if you asked Ben White about his opinion on football, he'd give you some dumb opinion. He's still going to give you an astute insight into football because he's a professional footballer. He might not like want to talk about it, but he still knows more because he plays the sport professionally and he has different insight than the regular kind of armchair fan like I am. But Brendan is unique in that he doesn't have the necessary knowledge that he should have based on his former profession. And even though he does it as a job, he still doesn't even look like he takes any care or attention or time into researching and just finding things out. Like you could have made that prediction that Saporia would have beat Volk just by looking at their fight record. Just on going on Wikipedia and comparing their fight record and just copy pasting the fights onto YouTube, watching some of the highlights and thinking, hmm, one person's had a lot of fights that they dominated and were on the front foot and they kind of starched most people and they were well-rounded, a couple of submissions and knockouts. The other person's had absolute wars with some of the best fighters in the division. Who's going to win? And advancing in age. It's not that difficult. So that's why when I think about Brendan, it always kind of reminds me that sometimes just because somebody does something as a job professionally doesn't mean they're an expert. You have to take everybody by a case-by-case basis. You can't just assume because somebody does something as an occupation that they know what they're talking about. Some people just lucked out. Some people just get lucky, um, you know, in life, quote-unquote, and they make it in something that probably aren't that enthusiastic about. Like, I still maintain to this day that I feel like Brendan probably never wanted to be a UFC fighter. Not probably. I don't think he ever, ever thought about fighting his entire life. But, you know, needs must. You're hungry. You want to you wanna make it in LA. You're struggling and shit. The, the football didn't work out. You do what you need to do to pay the bills. So he went into something. He advanced very quickly because I think, again, in that, at that era of UFC when he was in it, uh, a lot of big, strong guys were able to kind of make it quite far because there wasn't a lot of competition. Nowadays, you can't just make it based on your size and your strength. You have to be actually skilled. But he did make it back then. And he obviously was able to kind of parlay that into podcasting, into stand-up. So it kind of worked out for him. But because of that, maybe, because of that genesis of him never wanting to really ever fight in his life, maybe that's why he, you know, maybe that's why he didn't really like, you know, meh. He never really cared anymore. Maybe that's why. Maybe, 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 maybe that's why. Um, but yeah, I found that prediction to be absolutely incredible when I saw it. And I thought, wow, okay, cool. Like, why would you just say like, he completely dismissed Aporia as if like he's some bum. It's like, I know Volker's amazing. I know Volker's beaten, beaten some absolute warriors over his time, right? Volker's beaten some absolute warriors, right? Ortega, Max Holloway, um, Korean Zombie, if I'm not mistaken. I think Korean Zombie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, like, like I think he might have beat Max Holloway twice, maybe more than twice, if I'm not mistaken, right? Or something like that. Like, he's fa- like Jose Aldo, 
um, Volkan's beating over, over the time. Chad Mendes. Like, he's beating some absolute beasts over the time. But let's also remember, Max Holloway's been... Sorry, um, Volkanovski's been around for a while, bro. And towards the end of his, you know, run, he's had to have absolute brutal fights. Brutal fights where he's kind of taken a lot of damage, right? The Makachev... But both Makachev fights were not easy. Obviously, he lost um, one of them by crazy knockout. The other one was probably a lot more closer. The Yair Rodriguez fight in between also wasn't easy, even though he won that fight. Like, bro, like, come on, man. Like, we know what happens in the UFC when people advance in years. It doesn't really help and help situations, especially when you have to fight a young, hungry lion. Like, things can get very tricky for you very, very, very quickly. What are you guys saying here in the chat to me? Uh, big up, um, Assad. Brendan is delusional because use he really believe he could beat high-level heavyweight fighters with a double leg, even though he is not decorated wrestler or a good striker. Just can't accept it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. To be fair, I think the insight that I remember that I thought, okay, this guy never stood a chance when it came to the UFC. Do you guys remember that episode where he did that fight thing with um, Eric Griffin? They did some serious thing where they would sit down and watch old fights. And Eric Griffin was asking him some questions like as a, as a casual. He was like, oh, like, you, you didn't watch any tape? And bro was like, no, no, no. I left it to my coaches. Like, he refused to watch tape. He didn't watch any of his fights um, back. He never watched his, his opponents fighting. He just let his coaches handle it. Now, I know some fighters do that because they just want to get to the fight and kind of turn on the fucking, you know, the afterburners. But that lack of you know review that lack of analysis was very telling because it was like oh this is why you were never able to kind of iron out some of your you know deficiencies and some of your shortcomings and some of your skill sets improved and this this explains quite a bit that you just kind of you know whatever the coach says you kind of went with and even then you know i don't really know what the game plan was when he was in the octagon in the first place but that basically said a lot about his contempt his his um you know his mindset going into fight so i didn't really i didn't really i never really understood that thing especially when you think about him not being a you know um a lifelong martial artist i think if you're a lifelong martial artist maybe it's advantageous not to be watching too many fights and be analyzing your own fights because you might get in your head a bit blah 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 but i think if you come into it late in life you probably need every advantage given to you so if it means watching fights, if it means going and traveling to other camps, if it means doing all this sort of stuff, you need as much as possible, as much as possible um, to kind of help yourself because you don't have the advantage of starting doing martial arts when you were like nine. You started it when you were like 26, you know what I mean? So you need to do as much research as possible to kind of get yourself up there. I would imagine, I would imagine. So, um, you know, what can you do? Um, what can you do? What can you do? Um, Andy Ward, Vogbeat Holloway, um three times easy. yeah yeah i know i don't think i did i never said he didn't did i i know Vogue beat holloway i never said he didn't i don't think i said he didn't but yeah thank you for the correction regardless yeah he beat holloway three times yeah all close fights i think i think people that love max holloway would say that um holloway won two of them but you know i think Vogue did a did very well um in terms of um asserting his dominance in that fucking trilogy that was those are really fun fights as well by the way really really fun fights um anyway let's continue let's move on next one list here um i normally hate this page i hate everything about it i hate what it stands for um i hate the person behind it i think the person behind it was if i'm not mistaken involved with drake in some respect i remember seeing some story about how drake basically hit them up and 
and just helped him style him or whatever build out his wardrobe and this guy just like made up a fucking google sheet of all the most limited edition pieces out there that everybody kind of wanks over and send it to drake and then drake just kind of bought everything that was available on their own grave and stuff that's why drake kind of pops up sometimes looking like a mess because you know there's no real rhyme or reason why he has these certain things he has he just has them because he has money and shit and there's no real attention to like you know what he's into about his shape as you know about his body shape about what looks best on him all this summer like it's just like hype shit for the stake of hype shit so i'm not really the biggest fan of hidden and white right that's the page on instagram i'm not really a fan of it i think it's fucking bullshit um i hate the aesthetic behind it i hate this like imagine nostalgia thing behind it i hate that they repeat and just regurgitate the same images again and again and again and they don't really say anything you know insightful they don't really kind of spread any image any knowledge or any of that kind of malarkey but I have to be honest, and especially their collaborations, well, they've been terrible over the past few years. I think the Bape one, no, I think they did one with BBC or with no, with NERD, sorry, that was horrendous. They did one with the Needles, that was fucking awful. But as much as I, I hate Hidden NY, I have to admit, these assets that they did are really nice. As much as I hate Hidden NY, the page and everything about it, I have to admit, these assets gels are really fucking nice. So it's courtesy of Hypebeats. I forgot to mention it before. They're meant to be dropping sometime in March and they're all white Asics. You know what Asics look like. And they obviously feature the signature green and white colorway that you know of Hidden and Y. And these might be legitimately some of the best things that they've ever done. They've got some nice hit of the Hidden logo here on the tongue on one side with the circle with the H on the inside and you've got the Asics logo here on the other side of the foot. You've got a nice green, lime green um, hit here on the midsole. You've got this green accents on the outside of the of the sign and then you've got these silver bits on top of the white and the mesh on the top. So color combo wise, you've got white, silver, green. Um, you know, you can't really go wrong with that and they look really cool and then you've also got a hit here of the hidden stamp on the back as well which is quite cool because they've included the grid the kind of move signal sorry the move icon on photoshop or illustrator if you use if you use adobe photoshop or illustrator you'd know that they've got that you know that kind of cursor the move icon so they included that around the logo on the back of the hilltop which is quite a nice little hit for all you bedroom designers like myself out there so pretty cool shoe i have to be honest especially considering some of the recent collaborations they've done before have been really terrible and really shit and the fact that their page is incredibly reductive and boring but it looks like over time they're getting there and maybe now hidden is going to turn into some sort of like design studio consultancy firm type of thing so maybe it might it might lead to them improving their page because the page is a little bit repetitive so maybe because of the inspirations or because of the projects they'll be handed or projects they'll be working on they might have to pull from different bits of inspiration that might inform the page and might kind of develop it taste wise viewpoint wise into a wholly different affair that might be the case you never know so let's read the article here courtesy of hypebeast it says after being teased at the end of 2023 the hidden ny gel nyc is nearing its launch with a complete breakdown of the new design revealed the white silver green arrangement utilizes co-branding that references photo editing software with a digital version of the asics tiger stripes um sizing handles around the hidden ny logo matching the thematic shoe box releases expected to take place in march via hidden ny and asics stay tuned for details so no idea when they're going to drop exactly we got the march details here we've also got a look on the box as you can see here it says asics and hidden on the inside of the box and then you've also got the shoes featured there on the inside so pretty cool i think in terms of shoes 
Um, I possibly wouldn't wear them because, you know, I don't try to wear stuff from brands that block me. <laughs> so I'll probably not support in terms of wearing them. But in terms of being a, in terms of being the hater, no, an unapologetic hater of hidden, even I have to give them credit and say, you know what? They did a good job on these. I have to I have to give him praise, give praise where praise is due, and say that Hidden did a fucking good job on these assets. So big up them for actually delivering for once, because that NERD collaboration is still, you know, it still gives me nightmares, as does the needless the needles one. But this is really fucking well done. Especially look at that toe box. That's fucking beautiful. You got the combination of green, silver, white on the toe box and you've got different materials you've got the mesh i think that might be i don't think that is silver that might be patent i don't think it's 3m you've got the mesh toe box you've got the silver accent which is probably patent leather here and then whatever material is the midsole maybe it's pu that's a nice little kind of hit there combination i fucking love it so big up hidden and why love to see it love to see it hopefully this means the beginning of some nice things going forward and not some of that dross that they were putting out before hopefully no more dross like they were putting out before next on the list i was listening to yeet new album 2093 and i don't know what to think of it i don't know what to think of it i really don't know what to think of it i'm really on i'm really kind of um in in two minds was it terrible and one of the worst albums yeet's ever put out recently or was it really good and really thematic and really kind of expansive and movie-like i'm not really too sure it didn't really immediately grab me like some of his previous projects the production on it i think is really incredible i still love how he uses his voice it's really cool but i almost feel like because i feel like he's been incredibly um hard working right his output has been crazy. I feel like he's put out a project like every other year or something, right? Since he's dropped, or maybe even more than that. It's always putting out projects, always putting out new things, turning around super fast. But I'm wondering maybe, is he now trying to burn out in the same way that NBA Youngboy and a few other people have burned out over the years where they put out so much stuff so quickly? Obviously, the fans love it. Obviously, it kind of boosts their profile. Obviously, it takes them from nobodies to somebodies in a short space of time. But musically, they always tend to suffer. The only person I think of who hasn't suffered like that was Future. When Future was on his crazy run, when he was dropping every fucking few months, it seemed like, you know, it just kept getting better and better. There was just more stuff. And I think even Metro Boomin away says like, you know, Future sits on like hundreds of hard drives full of unreleased music that is probably never going to see a light of day anytime soon. Um, and obviously Gucci Mane is a good example of that as well. It's like a um, Griffin size one. Gucci Mane is a great example of it. But I feel like these recent, these kind of new age kids they don't seem to be able to put out a lot of music and also have it be really of high quality. The only person I can think of who does it and it's not even the same genre might be Chris Brown. But Chris Brown's albums are just too long for most people. But I listen to them because I'm a fan of R&B and I love Chris Brown. But Chris Brown's albums are really good. You'll have like an album of like 30 plus tracks, I know. But majority of them are incredible. So I feel like that it is possible to do, but I feel like a lot of these artists, especially when you think about the sound and the music and how they rap and how they construct songs, they might need a bit more time in between to let them, to let the, whatever they put out breathe or to find new inspiration. Because I feel like 20, 2093, um, P2 by Yeet is not that good, but I'm not too sure if I just haven't listened to it properly because I had a hard time getting through it. I had to listen to it in bits. Also, it hasn't helped that I'm listening to this post vultures one by yay and ty dollar sign which legitimately might be one of the best albums i've listened to in a while it's incredibly good how good it's incredibly 
you know, it's astounding how good that music is, especially when you consider that, you know, Ye, Ye is kind of blackboard industry wise. Not a lot of people really want to work with him because of all the shit he said before. He's not really that good for business. He's, you know, he's a bit ostracized from his writing crew. I think, um, what's his face? Ryan Face doesn't work with Ye anymore. And you can tell with the lyrics. The bars that Ye uses, you can tell he hasn't really got a lot of his friends around him anymore that are helping with the bars like Ryan Fest and a few other people, even like Black Fort. Those guys probably disagreed with him too much politically, um, you know, to kind of work with him ever again. That's why we get a lot of these silly bars from Ye. But silly bars aside, you can't deny that Vulture's one. The music is just A1. Forget who it is. Forget the politics. Forget everything. The music is A1. So maybe you listen to that and then listen to Ye it's a little bit too much of a jarring contrast because he doesn't really say shit, right? Ye, I'm not saying nothing. It's not really going anywhere, but it's vibes, it's aesthetic music, but even the aesthetic isn't really that entertaining. I don't really know. But then, to be fair to him, the second half of the album is really fucking good. I swear to God, if you listen to it from track 11 onwards, it's really good really 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 good familia might be one of my favorite tracks on the second half and fucking run their mouth so the second half of the album is banging but the first half is like i'm thinking about it like what the hell is going on even though the first half has all the hits on it right like more brief power trip psycho ceo all these are going to be hit singles going forward i personally feel like the second half of the album is where it fucking picks up from track 11 onwards tell me shade never quit keep pushing riot and set it off team ceo 2093 stand on it featuring futures a1 familia mr in between it um psycho kane run Day mouth is my favorite track on there like it's really good towards the end so i don't know i don't know i don't know what's going on with ye i don't know if he's fallen off i don't know if it's just a consequence of pulling out too much music I don't know if it's because maybe the yeet thing is just the bubble's kind of gone and it's not the same anymore. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. Or maybe it's just too rich. That could be another thing too. Maybe yeet guy was legitimately struggling to fucking buy a sandwich, right? And you put together some of the most atmospheric, melodic, vibey, aesthetic, aura-based music you'd ever heard in your life. Now he's suddenly, he's wearing fucking Elix head-to-toe. He's got on Bottega Veneta boots, you know, um gucci shades he's traveling in japan with what's his name um with zach beer you know busting down fucking japanese hoes and shit you know living in lavish hotels getting his back blown out by playboy carty living the life maybe that's why the music isn't hitting the same way the hunger just isn't there which is understandable but it's just a shame because he's so young and he's so rich already there's no going back now do you know what i mean once you start making that kind of money there's no going back anymore he's not going to be that hungry yeet we all wanted to hear but i'm happy for him because he's made his money and he's probably you know set his family up for life and shit but it's like as a fan it's like oh, the music just isn't hitting the same way so unfortunately i didn't really like that too much um although i have to say um idols have a new album at the moment idols have a really good album which i really have enjoyed britney howard also um former singer of the band alabama shakes has a new album also that's pretty decent i've listened to so i'll probably do reviews on them going forward um so check those out if you haven't already those two are really good next we've got this clip that features skepta which is a really um interesting and really insightful and really um eye-opening um you know clip for me because it kind of pushes me in the direction that i'm trying to go in I've been a little bit apprehensive. I've been a little bit, quote unquote, scary to kind of go out there and do it again. And what I mean, do it again, I mean, promoting and putting on my own events because technically, you know, because just in terms of, a, you know, 
usefulness thing. The whole getting booked thing isn't happening anytime soon with me. Um, I think I'll probably have to build up my profile, get to a point where my DJ mixes are getting hundreds of thousands of views and stuff. And then, you know, because of those views, I'll just become undeniable. People just have to book me because, you know, I've just got views and people like what I do. Similar to what Party Boy 69 did. So I could definitely do it the Party Boy 69 way, just kind of build my profile out that way. Or I could do it the way that most people do it, which is kind of organize your own parties. You organize your own parties, you book yourself, which is kind of narcissistic, and then people can see you play. And then they'll be like, oh my God, that Agostino guy, that big black guy behind the decks is pretty decent, isn't it? <laughs> right? And then they're suddenly going to book you. But I felt like this video from um, of Skepta talking in this interview really gave me a bit of encouragement in terms of just, you know, maybe understanding that I probably do need to put on my own rave just so I can have a point of view out there. Because I feel like the rave scene, especially in London, has become a little bit too queer a little bit too like cookie you know that there isn't any space for like regular dudes <laughs> like me anymore you know what i mean so let me play this clip and hear skepta going basically talking about you know black people getting back into house music basically let's play this clip and see what he says music you like house you just haven't realized it yet Ooh. and bare young g's here think that they can't listen to house and they're like what's that, what's that uns, uns. but this is the reference point boom Mastiampo, who's that what's skep and jam yeah i like, I like that cool that's like a whole wave of people might just try and listen to it, you know what I mean? A lot of the shows that we've done, they just put the mic next to the deck. Show. Just in case! <laughs> I kept looking at the mic thinking that they're, they're going to understand soon. This is not about us rapping. This is about our skill as musicians and producers and DJ. They're coming now and they're, ex and it, and they're enjoying it, knowing that maybe they're not going to rap, but they're going to make us feel welcome and... That's mad, isn't it? Imagine Skepta and Jammer putting on an event and the organizers put a fucking microphone next to the decks just in case, right? <laughs> They're like, yeah, nah, these guys are going to spit. That's kind of racist, isn't it? That is really racist. It's like it's like them putting a bottle of Hennessy and Ray and Nephews in your rider, in your bucket, right, behind it. Because when you get booked as a DJ and you're like a big time DJ, you get like a bucket full of drinks behind the booth. It's like they automatically put Magnums in there, Ray and Nephews and, and fucking Hennessy. That's like, what, what are you trying to say? You're trying to say because I'm black, I'm going to drink that sort of shit. Like, get me some Chardonnay, man. Get me a fucking, you know what I mean? Get me some red wine. But yeah, um, I do agree with what you said. I think if you do like music, you would like, most people would like house music. I think that idea, I think for black people, especially in the UK, we have this really assertion to like oots, 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 oots music, right? which is odd because of the history that black people have with dance music, electronic music to be specific. And when you think about it, especially nowadays, when you think of the prevalence and the popularity of flipping Ama Piano, you know, you, you fucking, you, you, you jump up, you know, you put, you, you crank up Ama Piano tempo a few bits and suddenly it's fucking house. It's fucking regular house music. Yes, it's a bit deeper melodic and the slower. Listen to Ama Piano, maybe 120 BPM and lower, but you pump up a little bit. It's just regular house music that you listen to in clubs. So it's really a shame that most, a lot of black people don't really identify themselves with the current club music that's out there at the moment or maybe not feel uncomfortable. But it's also really annoying for me being a non-queer, non-LGBTQ person. Obviously, I would say I'm an ally to those people and their causes. I'm definitely somebody that's going to champion that sort of stuff and be at the parties and, you know, be a, a kind of a, a good um, member of their community, right, by just being there, like external community, extended community. But I find myself sometimes now being, I don't want to say overlooked, but you don't really see a lot of like, um, emphasis being placed on people that look like me playing or being a part of that scene anymore 
which maybe is a reason why I should go out there and do my own thing instead of complaining about it, which is what, you know, most events are like that, right? Most events that start now, there's even the ones that are like gay friendly. They start because you go out and you feel like no one's really speaking to you. No one's really like, you know, addressing your needs. No one's really communicating with your group of people. You don't feel comfortable in certain places. So you just set your own party up as a way to kind of like, you know, um, circumnavigate that thing and provide people that are like you a safe place that they can go to, quote unquote safe, um, to kind of party and have a good time. So maybe now, because there's more of a prevalence and more of an eye and more of a tension in kind of bolstering flinter queer lgbtq plus people maybe i need to have to create my own little lane to kind of you know bring that kind of image of a regular hetero straight black guy behind a booth back in because at the moment it's just not the thing anymore you know that's why i love what skepta and jam are doing with mass tempo as much as maybe the music isn't for me right that melodic deep house stuff or the tech house stuff just isn't my vibe i like the fact that these guys exist and you're seeing skepta behind the booth with the do-rag with the fucking zoot in his mouth jamma you know off a couple of bumps having a good time i think that is amazing to see because you don't really see that behind the booth behind the booth now you see somebody you see some girl in some weird long fur coat with like a weird kind of bra top and like crazy makeup and shit everybody looks fucking kooky and extroverted which is what it is cool but it's not just like regular dudes like me anymore right where are they they don't exist anymore you know I mean? you have to have a bit of an angle you have to have a bit of a kink a bit of a, a bit of a quirk right i have to come in like wearing lipstick and wearing a wig to kind of get some of these gigs somewhere which is which i understand because i think for the longest time those people weren't really welcomed i think you know when the whole like deep house melodic house thing was really prevalent right um it was people like that felt uncomfortable to go in that's the thing that is really because i think you know what maybe i'm complaining about nothing because i think it, it it kind of levels itself out because there was a time in 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 club culture where if you walked in as a dude with like a bra top on you know and your phone showing guys would make you feel uncomfortable in a club call you names maybe even physically assault you now you are going the opposite way and basically you need to stand out even more you can't just wear a phone going to a club if you want if you're in that group you want to really make a name you know what i mean that like everybody kind of does that so maybe this is a kind of course correction over time it will kind of level itself out a little bit but i feel like nowadays i don't really see a lot of myself represented in clubs in general as being a black dude um just a regular dude that's just you know I, i'm into clothes and shit but I, I wouldn't say you know i wouldn't want to get into the realm of trying to queer bait to get gigs because that's that i think is really disgusting right like it's, it's it's one thing me going to these parties and being an ally and taking part in it which already i'm kind of taking up space you know and i'm maybe being a bit of a distraction i'm maybe taking away some of the energy there because they're all being free doing their thing and i'm here i am like standing on the corner like a fucking bouncer but i love the parties anyway but it's another thing to go out there and queer bait and pretend to be part of that scene just to get gigs i know there's some people that do that i know there are some people that are queer baiting in the dj scene and trying to make it seem like they are you know down to suck a dick but they don't really suck a dick they just look like they do but they don't really and i think that's the most disgusting thing you could ever do um especially you know when those, there are people out there that actually do and they want to play <laughs> you know what i mean give them space give them room but i think after seeing this clip i'm gonna make it more of a mission going forward of course i need to increase the dj mixes first of all i haven't done that in a while so expect those mixes to come out um sometime within the next couple of weeks and stuff i'll be doing more pirate you know radio sorry pirate studio mixes and shit and just in general just uploading random because that because there was a point in time where i was doing a lot of like procrastinating i was like oh if i can't dj 
live stream at pirate then i what's the point of just recording a mix at home and uploading on my soundcloud that's not really the way to go i should do what i I was doing in the past in the past i was just recording mixes just for the sake of it so most likely in the future what i'll do is i'll have like a separate little kind of quote-unquote radio show thing that i'll do because i like to you know i don't really like playlists i don't know about you i fucking hate playlists but i want to share some of the music that i do listen to and what i'm interested in to kind of get my kind of point of view and taste out there just for the sake of just wanking myself off and making myself look better than some people because that's what the main thing is about right when you put together a mix as much as you're doing it for the enjoyment of other people you're doing it to kind of show off right like hey look at me i can dj look at me i i know good music look at me i'm cool so i'm gonna be doing that anyway right <laughs> doing that that radio show and i'm also going to be doing more mixes going forward even if i don't live stream them i'll just put up mixes on my fucking soundcloud and just put up a lot more because i feel like at the moment i've just been a little bit lame you know i've been a little bit lazy i haven't really been putting any effort in putting out more mixes i've been kind of just you know taking my foot off the pedal so i really need to kind of do more in terms of you know pushing those mixes out there and making them available to people to listen to because i want to put my point of view out there and i think it's important for me to put it out there and i can't just be complaining about things if i'm not offering something else as an alternative you know what i mean i need to offer something else so that's what i'm going to be doing and in case you want to check out my um soundcloud i'll put the link in the flipping actually i'll put the links in the in the chat so you can check out if you want to and in the description as well but i've got two i've got my main one for my fake um record label which is persistence records so if you go on um, soundcloud.com forward slash persistent records you'll find that that's what that's for my fake um, record label you'll see all that there and then i've also got my main one for my dj page which is going to be handsome black man but i think going forward what i might do actually i might just like because i think persona wise i want two personas i want to have this handsome black man dj handle as like my party dj kind of like you know persona and then i want to have just my name agostino be my other dj name that i usually use for more techno based um sets that's what i'm going to be doing so i'm going to have two different soundcloud accounts so i'm going to have this one and i'm going to have the one just like just agostino just for the whole techno thing so check that all out i'll put all the links in the description if you're watching the live stream you'll find the links in the flipping chat as well so you can see them as well but going forward i'm gonna do it because i feel like you know it's important that i put out my voice it's important i let people know wagwan you know and let them know that they you know there are quote-unquote regular normal boys just like me out there who also want to play some of this music and we just need a chance but sometimes you have to make your own chances in life you know what i mean you have to make your own chances you can't sit there and cry and i'm not a crier so let's not start today Talking about crying and talking about DJing and talking about being black. <laughs> Have you guys seen this? Have you guys seen this? Bobby Schmurda going crazy in some London club because allegedly he didn't get paid by a promoter. And he went absolutely nuts in the club, right? Like threatening to kill people and all that sort of shit. This clip is absolutely incredible. Let me play it for you. Big up the Shade Borough for posting it. Let me play this for you. I right, right, Bobby, come in, man. Oh, 
pushing people, shouting at people. So, I completely understand. I completely understand. If this is because of l lack of payment, I completely understand. Being a um, up and coming bedroom amateur DJ myself, I've been in so many situations where I have not been paid. <laughs> and I think some of you out there, guys who play in like bands and stuff, guys who've done open mics, some of you guys and girls out there, you'll know the pain of going to a nightclub, going to a bar where you've been booked somewhere and the promoter refuses to pay you. Sometimes they don't refuse to pay you. Sometimes it's not a refusal. Sometimes they run away from you. Big up my friend Miles, right? This guy Miles, who I used to just party with, called So Special. Big up you wherever you are. Um, it was a very valuable lesson. One time we were doing So Special, we were kind of blowing up in the that part of London at the time and really popular and whatnot. And we somehow got the attention of some big promoter guy in West London and in Soho, to be specific. No, no, in, in flipping Leicester Square, that kind of area, right? Like those kind of fancy clubs where they have tables and shit. And they booked us for a gig. They're like, hey, we love your sound. We went to come and play in our party. We should have known it was a bit fishy from the moment, that moment. Because why would some random promoter of a swanky bar in London, in central London, want to get some of us guys in who are from like the dumb, the fucking gritty part of like Dawson to go and party over there? There's no connection between the two places. They just went to obviously use our name quote-unquote and obviously get the advantage of having our fans or quote-unquote or our party attendees go there as well to kind of bolster the number so it was mostly it was serving their purposes mostly except to us we discussed payment they were going to agree to pay us i think the money was like a hundred pounds each or something it wasn't anything crazy it was like a hundred pounds each so when you include having to travel there when you include you know maybe your your cab back especially that in that time we were doing it there was no 24-hour tube line. So we had to usually get a cab back home. Because especially I live in like the depths of East London. So getting back from Central is really long. So, you know, you'd rather get a cab back. So when you include all those things, after all those costs, you're probably taking home £60, right? That's what you're probably taking back home. £60, if not 50 So it's not even like you're getting paid a lot. We play the gig. It goes well. Um, the, the night itself is a bit shit because who wants to be in a Soho club with tables and stuff? We not really like it. But it was a busy night. It went well. Like It looked like there was a lot of people that turned up there. Then at the end, I'm like, oh, yeah, to Miles. Yeah, let's wait to get our money from so-and-so. And Miles just starts laughing. Like, what do you mean? He's like, why are you laughing? He's like, Ag, we're not going to get our money, man. I said, like, no, no. He, he, like, he said we should wait for him and he'll give us the money. He's like, bruv, he's not, he's not going to pay us. I was like, no, no, he's going to pay He's going to pay us. And half an hour goes. An hour goes by. Another hour goes by. I start looking for him and I couldn't find him. And the club is tiny. It's like a Soho club. It's got a couple of levels, but it's like really small and just packed. I was like, where could he be? And I just couldn't find him anywhere. And then obviously later on, I just gave up and just decided to go home and we had no money. And I was fucking angry. I was so furious. Um, I don't think there's no other pain or there's no other rage like somebody promising you money for services and then not giving you the money. That sort of anger and rage is like, you can't describe it. I went to fight everybody in that fucking club. So I leave and we don't get our money. But then I remember it happening a couple of other times after that. And I remember, you know, sharing the story with other people and people saying, yeah, that's like a standard thing. That's what promoters do. I was like, oh, I didn't know this is a thing. So some promoters will do that. They'll just book you for a thing, knowing full well they're not going to pay you. Sometimes they'll look for an excuse. So if you turn up late, they'll just say, hey, you turn up late. That means you've got your fee docked and they'll pay you a certain amount or they'll take the money off your final amount or they just won't pay you at all. So to just use you for the fact that, hey, you can play for free 
you might bring people in which will help them but then they'll keep all the money for themselves or sometimes if they're honest it'll just be because they didn't make enough money at the door or we didn't sell enough tickets we couldn't break even which doesn't happen which is very rare very rarely will you find a really decent promoter who will tell you hey I know I booked you and I promised you a certain amount of money, but I can't pay you because we didn't make enough money on the bar. We didn't make enough money on tickets. That rarely happens. I think that's happened to me once where a promoter's just been honest and said, look, we didn't make any money. But most of the time, promoters just run away and they'll avoid eye contact, they'll avoid, you know, seeing you or they'll keep, or it's that scene in Atlanta. Remember that scene in Atlanta where they're trying to get paid and the guy just keeps like walking away and keeps like, you know, motioning with his hands and stuff. It reminds me of that sort of thing. But the thing that I liked going forward, I think about recently, was Americans. When you see girls doing walkthroughs in clubs, you see a lot of them at the end of the night carrying money, like cash. And I love that because I didn't know that was a thing because it, even me as a small-time DJ, some places are playing in, in pubs where they're paying you £100, £50. They'll make you, they'll make you send an in invoice. They won't even pay you cash. They'll make you send an invoice. You know how dumb that is? It's fifty pounds. You can't take that out of the till. You don't have that in petty cash. So I love that in America, for the most part, you guys have a culture of like, no, give me fucking cash. Like even big time people, if they're getting booked somewhere, they want cash only. They don't like that's part of their that's part of their fucking requirements. If you want to book them, you go through their agent. You have it, you know, certain days in advance. You meet all their terms in terms of, you know arrangement travel things and whatever and part of the arrangement for some people is that i need my money in cash no wire transfer no nothing cash only but that's something that doesn't really happen a lot in the uk people don't really like to pay people in advance in cash in advance in cash or when you get there in cash at all that's why these situations happen so even bobby schmurder way more famous than i am way more clouded up has a name has reputation right as being a, a bit of a ragamuffin even he is susceptible to get scammed and to get hustled by promoters who basically will book you and then not decide to pay you when you're there and again i don't have you know i completely understand why he felt the way he did wanting to fight everybody in the club and turn that place up like when you go especially when you're at that his level Yes, it's fun to go to a club. Yes, it's fun to drink. Yes, it's fun to kind of, you know, um, beat down some fucking slaws. But at a, point, at a certain point, it then becomes a job. You know, you're only there because you're there getting paid. You, you probably don't even like traveling to London. So, you know, you're in London now. You don't really like the city. Most Americans don't like London anyway because the food isn't that great. The weed here is a bit shit and overpriced. So you're having to travel to this country on a long flight from New York, 10 hours. You get here and then the person doesn't pay you. It's like, come on, do you know what I mean? Like, do me a fucking favor. So anyway, let's continue and let's hear... Um, let's play a couple more videos where I think he explains it and we get a bit more detail on what actually occurred here. Let me play it for you one moment. Let me just get this up for you here so you can see Wagwan. I just want to let you know, yeah, like for future, yeah, you shouldn't do this to people. Well, I mean, things... like you can't, you can't hold an event. Now, let me just finish, yeah. You can't hold an event, yeah, and not have money at the end of the night exactly the exactly it's wrong exactly so, so. exactly answers unfortunately were out of uh, control but then so. you should not let us know at the end of the night when exactly. you've already done everything exactly you should have told us before the end of the night i, I, I can't tell you i mean I, you, I, I, you I can you can at the beginning of the night you should make sure that the money's you there stop recording. What are you recording for? because it's proof that you didn't pay him exactly we're covering our artists exactly because yeah. our artist is now thank getting you. getting disrespected online thank like you. he can't good night he can't do and and again what do you think it is about promoters that they all like this doesn't matter what country you're in doesn't matter what race you are why is it why did it why is it that the promotion field just 
draws these certain dickheads these certain guys with this sort of attitude like how like look at him it's his mistake right it's his error that leads to bobby schmurder freaking out in a club and going crazy he's the one that fucked up you should have been able to communicate with his team about the delays in payment you should have had the money ready you don't have it ready and then now he's getting an attitude when the i guess that's bobby schmurder's maybe uk handler his manager or somebody including his team is basically you know telling them hey you fucked up he's now getting offended and walking off and being rude like what what is it about the promotional industry or the promotive field that draws these type of people or is it the or is it the nature of the work that turns you into a dickhead or do you just have to be a bit of a dickhead or do you have to be a bit of a cunt to work as a promoter maybe you have to be a bit of a cunt to work as a promoter maybe you have to be a bit up a bit of an arsehole to be around these people night day in no night after night it can get probably as exhausting as playing somewhere but yeah, man, like, you know, Bobby Schmader's not in the wrong here. It's a fucking promoter. Anyway, and then the next video here, we've got another video where that features Bobby Schmader actually explaining what happened. So I want to hear what you should say from his own voice because that video wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, as a person said, it's going to cause reputational damage for Bobby Schmader because it makes it look like he can't do any business, you can't do business with him or he's going to freak out. It might be actually his first thing i've seen on video of bobby's freaking out since he got freed right he hasn't really had any you know gangster bad boy in you know skirmishes he's kind of kept his nose clean he had a bit of a passa passa with um six nine for a bit i think i forgot who else but so far he's kept his head down um he's released some music he's been flying around the world fucking random white women do you know what I mean like he's been loving life so this is kind of bad to have this image out there like he's you know some ragamuffin when he isn't He's just basically trying to defend himself and stick up for himself because he was booked for an event somewhere. Um, he, the, the fee was agreed. The money should have been paid. So let's see what Bobby Schmidt has to say about the whole thing. Hey, I'm right on the session, right around that bitch. And <clears throat> to all my fans, I apologize for what happened tonight at Club Proud Late. They are <laughs> he doesn't even know the name. I love it. He doesn't even know the name of the club. <laughs> Proud Late. <laughs> he doesn't even know the name of it. I fucking love Bobby. The money on time. I came in. I performed. Well, I wasn't supposed to perform in a contract, as you can see. Um, it was just supposed to be a hosting. I came in. I did extra because I love my fans. You know me. Mm. And um, they didn't pay the money. And a certain, um, you know, certain things happening. I apologize to anybody who had to see that or anybody who was hurt in the mix of it. So big up Bobby Schmurder. He got he got his money in the end. That's why he's smiling. That's why he's happy. Getting paid in pounds when you're American must feel so good, especially when it's cash. That stuff is fucking beautiful. So big up Bobby Schmurder. Hopefully he broke off all his employees and his team and they're eating good and living good. And it obviously makes up for the shitty food and the shitty weed we have here in the UK. That's probably the best thing. Good to see. But I completely understand his pain because I've been in situations where you know, I've had promoters run off on me. Like, I'm sure he got, he got, he got paid thousands. I've had promoters run off on me on hundreds of pounds. <laughs> 50 pounds sometimes run off. Promoters running off, hiding in club bathrooms and staff rooms from me because they don't want to pay 50 pounds. <laughs> I'm like, look, I paid my fucking two hour set of new disco, right? I played fucking, you know, synth pop for four hours. Can you give me my fucking hundred pounds, please? So I can go buy a gram on the way home. Can you do that, please? <laughs> Honestly, man, I hate fucking promoters and I wish they weren't all like that. But for some reason, they are all like that. I don't know why. I don't know why. Let's move on. 
we've got this article courtesy of the atlantic that i thought was really um interesting and maybe spoke about a lot of maybe illustrate no, maybe reflected on the things that i think about when it comes to socializing and hanging out um the title here is why americans suddenly stop hanging out but i think this could be applied to any any you know the, the world right you replace americans with whatever country you're, you're based in because i think most places in western europe or in the western world um are suffering from this you know malaise where people just aren't socially hanging out and stuff maybe if you live in a place where you have a better standard of life or quality of life maybe if the weather's better it kind of increases your hanging out but i feel like in the uk specifically you have to plan a lot of your hangouts with your friends. They have to maybe be planned in advance. Nothing happens spontaneously. Everything revolves around drinking or eating or drugs. And it's just a bit annoying that we just don't have places just to go and hang out and socialize as people. And everybody's kind of glued to their phones, locked indoors, scared of COVID or just fucking lazy. So let's hear what this article says, courtesy of The Atlantic, written by a writer called Derek Thompson. It starts off as follows. In its earliest decades, the United States was celebrated for its citizens' extraversion. Um, Americans were just setting out to build new churches and new cities. Their associations were, as Alexis would put it, um, of thousands of different types, religions, morals, and serious, futile, very general, very limited, immensely large, and very minute. Americans seemed adept at forming social groups, political associations, labor unions, local memberships. It was as if the continent itself had imbued its residents with a vibrant social metabolism, a verve for getting out and hanging out. Nothing in my view, um, Alexis wrote, deserves more attention than the intellectual and moral associations in America. Something changed in the past decades. After the 1970s, American dynamism um, declined. Americans moved less from place to place. They stopped showing up at their churches and temples. In the 1990s, the sociologist Robert Putman recognized that American social metabolism was slowing down. In the book Bowling Alone, he gathered teams, sorry, reams of statistical evidence to prove that Americans' penchant for starting and joining associations appeared to be in free fall. Book clubs and bowling leagues were going bust. That's a very good point. Book clubs. I used to be a part of a couple of the book clubs, which would be no surprise to some of you based on the collection of books I have here behind me and just based on my, demure, my demeanor and how much of a fucking dork and nerd I can be. I used to be a part of a couple of book clubs, but most of them are defunct. I used, to, I used to be part of a um, zine exchange, right? A place where you'd go and hang out with people who make zines and you'd exchange them. You'd read certain zines. You might get someone to work on your zine. I was a part of all these little dumb little collectives and stuff and groups. And most of them are now defunct. You can't find any of them anymore, which is really sad to be fair. Or they've moved online. Or they've moved to fucking Discord as well, which is super depressing. Um, because, you know, it's a book club and it's a zine thing. It should be tactile. It should be in person. Article continues. If Putman felt the first raindrops of an antisocial revolution in America, the downpour is fully here and we're all getting washed away in the flood. From 2003 to 2022, American men reduced their average hours of face-to-face -face socializing by 30%. For unmarried Americans, the decline was even bigger, more than 35%. For teenagers, it was more than 45%. Boys and girls 15 to 19 reduced their weekly outgoings by more than three hours a week. In short, there is no statistical record of any other period in the US history than when people spent more time on their own. Wow, 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 wow. So is that true that there's more, there's more, if you're unmarried, you hang out less than people that are married? Really? I thought it was opposite. I thought when you get married, you don't have any time for you just it's just you and your wife or you and your family and you kind of just focus on your own especially if you've got kids and shit there's no time to hang out with anybody i didn't know it was the other way around okay 
but I guess it means that if you're married, maybe extend your social group because by default, you might then become friends with your partner's friends, right? That might be a thing. So it continues. And so what? One might reasonably ask, a loneliness is not loneliness. Not only, not only that, but one, night might, one might point out the texture of aloneness has changed. Solitude is less solitary than ever with all calling, um, with all the calling, texting and emailing and work chatting and DM and posting. We are producing unprecedented terabytes of interpersonal communication. If Americans were happy about themselves, about their friends and about their country, then whining about parties um, of one would feel silly. But that's probably a COVID thing as well, right? I think COVID made all of us way more um what's that thing called self-reliant we became a lot more comfortable in our solitary solitariness right if that's a word we became a lot more comfortable being on our own i think for myself i've always been a loner i've always been a lone wolf which has been both a blessing and a curse but i felt like with covid it probably exasperated it and made it worse because i had no i had every excuse not to go out because i'd always look for an excuse to flake I'd always look for an excuse to cancel. I've always looked for an excuse not to go anywhere. And then COVID gave me the perfect excuse, the perfect cover. You know, even though I wasn't as scared of it as I made it seem, I was definitely using it as an excuse not to do anything. And then that kind of carried on after COVID ended because most of the work that I do and the jobs I've had in the last few years have basically required me to work remotely and I don't need to leave my house. So I don't even leave my house unless I'm going to go visit my family or, you know, hang out with the wife and children and shit. So that's basically what I do. I just stay at home. So I think that's what's basically made things way worse for me, really. Way, way, way worse. But hey, let's go on. But for Americans in the 2020, solitude, anxiety, and dissatisfaction seem to be rising in lockstep. Surveys show that Americans, and especially young Americans, have never been more anxious about their own lives or more depressed about the future of their country. <laughs> We're all walking around depressed and anxious ridden, anxiety ridden and depressed. God almighty. No wonder people are, you know what? This explains the hate online. This explains the hate. I felt like now, maybe I'm, I'm being a little bit dramatic. But I felt like nowadays there's way more vitriol. It's way more venomous. It's way more mean-spirited, some of the things you see online. That might be as a consequence of people feeling way more anxious and depressed in general. So you take it out on fucking, like Olivia Rodrigo. You take it out on Kylie Jenner. <laughs> you take it out on Kim Kardashian. You take it out on Brendan Shaw. You know what I mean? Because you're so fucking depressed and angry and anxious about your own life. You're like, oh, fuck this guy and his t-shirt off again. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's what you're seeing online now. People are really, really mean. Um, teenage depression and hopelessness are setting new annual records every year. The share of young people who say that they have close friend has plummeted. Wow. The share of young people who say they have a close friend has plummeted. Jesus. I wonder if that's a thing. I wonder if people have a statistic. I wonder if there's less kids nowadays who say they have a best friend than ever before. That might be a thing, you know. Best friends probably don't exist anymore. Americans have been so depressed about the state of the nation for so many consecutive years that by 2023, NBC pollsters said, we have never before seen this level of sustained pessimism in the 30-year-plus history of the poll. <laughs> We're all pessimistic cunts. We're all pessimistic cunts. That's what we are. That makes so much sense, right? Pessimism is at, is at an all-time high. <laughs> Cynicism is at an all-time high. <laughs> Hating is at an all-time high. <laughs> People are now getting fucking contracts from streaming companies and from like podcasting companies to be full-time haters. <laughs> full-time pessimists, you know? Oh, God almighty. 
I don't think hanging out more will solve every problem, but I do think every social crisis in the US could be helped somewhat if people spent a little more time with other people and a little less time gazing into digital content that's designed to make us anxious and despondent about the world. But unfortunately, that isn't going to change. I know people say we should spend less time on our phone, but let's be real. That's why I say all the time about my book, about my buying book addictions, right? I've already got two here that I still haven't kind of read or taught or teared through at the moment, right? I've got the, um, I've got the autobiography, one of the, one of the autobiographies by Moby called Porcelain. And I've also got this book here called A Very Important People by Ashley Mears, which talks about the party scene and stuff, right? I know I'm an addict of book reading. But I don't encourage people to read books. I, I don't use my um, my book habit, buying my reading habit as a way of like intellectually masturbating myself. I don't try and make it look like I'm better than people. Even though when I read outdoors on my own, I'm in a bar reading my book, you know, at some cocktail bar next to some candlelight, I feel like a fucking intellect and I feel fucking smart and shit. I don't encourage everyone to do it because I feel like this is so archaic. This is so old school that most people could never do it. And most people can't because unfortunately we get to a point and especially our attention spans are nowhere near where it needs to be to sit down and read a book for half an hour. Or even myself, I love reading books and I find it hard to sit and read a book for an hour without touching my phone. I'm always kind of itching to check in because I don't have my own, I don't have my notifications on. I'm always kind of double because I find nowadays, I don't know if you guys are the same. I find that because I don't have my notifications on, I check my phone way more. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? My phone's always on silent. There's no notifications, no banners, no nothing. But because of that, I feel like I check it way more. So it kind of doesn't really work, right? Because I want to not have notifications, not to check my phone, but I check it more because I have notifications on. So even I find it hard as a bookworm, as a somewhat quote-unquote, you know, fake fucking intellectual, I find it hard to read books. So I think most people will find it literally impossible. But I just think it's not ever going to go back. It's never going to go backwards. Like it's only going to get worse, especially we've seen now with the Apple Vision Pro. It's only going to get worse. So we have to find a way to kind of manage it. But this idea that we are all going to unplug and we're all going to start using phones that don't have, you know, screens and are not smartphones and just you use it for text and calling. It's like, come on, man. Come on, bro. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's a bit too late now. The, the, the horse has bolted. Let's continue. And the fucking fence has completely been obliterated. Um, let's go. So the young century, this young century, Americans have collectively submitted um, to a national experiment to deprive ourselves of the camaraderie um, in the world of flesh and steel, choosing instead to grow and grow and grow the time we spend by ourselves, gazing into the screens wherein actors and influencers often engage in various acts of physical proximity that we deny ourselves. It's been a wild experiment and the results haven't been pretty. To get a crystal clear picture of how hanging out has dissipated in America, I spent the last week um uh, splick what's that spleek spleeking I don't know what that word is what splee spelunking spelunking inside the American Time Use Survey. I never seen heard of the word. What's all spelunking mean? What does that mean? Spelunking, spelunking, the exploration of caves, especially as a hobby. Okay, cool. I never heard of that term. Spelunking. How do you pronounce that? Spelunking. Spelunking. Okay, cool. Um, I spent the past week spelunking inside an American Time Use survey, an annual government poll of how people in the US spend their days. Economists at the ATUS carefully tracked time spent socializing, meaning face-to-face interactions for more than a dozen demographics. Broadly, real-world socializing has declined for both men and women, for all ages, for all ethnicities, and for all levels of income and education. 
So socializing face to face, people are saying spelunky means ass play. Lols. Uh, <laughs> actually, that would be actually a good gay, a new gay term, isn't it? Because I feel like I feel like all the gay terms are overused now. They all become corny. I don't know if I've got if I've got any members of the LGBT community in my fucking chat right now. But all these fucking everybody saying yas, everyone saying mother, everyone saying it's giving. All those terms have been they've been fucking. They've been killed. They've been commoditized. They've been normanized, right? Normied. Like we need some new hot gay terms, right? And maybe spelunking is one of them. Babe, you're spelunking right now. I want to spelunk. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's go spelunking. You know, whatever. That there should be something there. There's something there. Um, so socializing has declined all across the board. Men and women, it's all gone down. Although COVID nineteen clearly decreased time alone, these trends predate pandemic. Oh, interesting. So it's not because of the pandemic. Huh. The steepest declines have been among young people, poor people, and black Americans. Wow. Us blacks are antisocial. We're prone to violence. We love fucking twerking, chicken, watermelons, illegal guns, <laughs> having kids outside of wedlock, <laughs> multiple baby mothers, and we also are loners. Love it. Love it. Black people have the all the ingredients necessary to be like mass shooters, but we're not really mass shooters. You know what I mean? Black people growing up in poverty, growing up around crime, right? Like all that sort of stuff should really, you know, mean that you are susceptible to like be a mass shooter. But most mass shooters are white and most mass shooters come from like decent, you know, backgrounds, decent neighborhoods, you know, affluent families. So it's really interesting how that works, isn't it? Um, you don't really see a lot of like Mexican and black fucking, you know, fucking um or his story hispanic mass shooters or black mass shooters really which is odd but let's continue the steepest declines um have been among young people and poor people and black people women and 20 somethings enjoy the most social time in a given week and low-income middle-aged unmarried men seem to get together um less that that used to be that is true actually i think all the women i know in my life still have the same friends still meet them after work have drinks go to eat some food go shopping, just go to each other's houses to shoot the shit. Like, women haven't changed. I think women socialing, so, women socialising is something men should aspire to because women can just hang around with each other without it being a thing, without it involving shots or beers or baggies of drugs. It's just hanging out. I don't think guys have that ability anymore, unfortunately. For most groups, the decline was staggered before accelerating in 2015. Beyond in-person hanging, several other forms of socializing have declined by about a third in the past 20 years, including the share of Americans who volunteer and share of Americans who attend religious services um, over the weekend. One of the more curious trends to jump out of the data is that many Americans have traded people for pets. Now, that is depressing. That is super depressing. Over the, one of the most curious trends to jump out of the data is that many Americans have traded people for pets in our social time. So people like, Jesus Christ, bro. I don't blame some people. I don't, again, as much as I hate dogs and shit, I don't blame people who do replace people with pets because humans are fucking annoying. And pets are, you know, loyal and loving to a level that a human sometimes can never usually match even your own parents <laughs> even your siblings couldn't match the level of love a dog or a cat can give to you so i understand but that is super depressing that people are you know replacing pets with actual interaction with real life human beings it continues 
The average time that Americans spend with their pets has roughly doubled in the last 20 years, both because more people have adopted pets and because they spend more time with them. In 2003, a typical female pet owner spent more time socializing with humans than playing with her cat or dog. By 2022, this flipped and the average woman with a pet now spends more time actively engaged with her pet than she spends hanging out face to face with fellow humans on any given day. Wow. To be honest, if you have time to set up a separate Instagram account for your pet, you probably don't like hanging out with humans. Let's be honest. If you have a separate Instagram account for your pet where you speak for your where you write captions in your pet's voice in like third person or something, right? Or whatever, you probably don't have friends. You probably don't want friends. <laughs> you know? You probably spend most of the time by yourself and you love it. Like that's probably what happens now. And I think most of my friends that I know that have pets have a separate social media account for their pet. And it's got like thousands of followers. So, you know, you definitely are creating bespoke content. I mean, you're doing photo shoots. <laughs> People that do that don't have time to meet someone for a drink. Fucking hell. The hangout depression is particularly bad for teenagers. According to ATUS, teens and young adults saw by far the largest dip in socializing, especially since 2010. In fact, it's genuinely difficult to find any category of play that isn't experiencing some kind of mayday, mayday descent among the groups. Teens are dating less, playing fewer um, youth sports, spending less time with their friends and making fewer friends to begin with. In the late 1970s, more than half of the 12th graders um, got together with their buddies almost every day. By 2017, only 28%. God damn. There's very clearly been a striking decline in in-person socializing among teens and young adults. Whether it's going to parties, driving around in cars, going to a mall, or just anything that has to do with getting together in person, says Jean Twang, um, the psychology professor of San Diego. I know for me, in the UK specifically, the reason why a lot of kids don't really hang out is because there's not a lot of places that they can hang out. So when I was growing up, we had these things called youth clubs. Um, we, no, when I was growing up, we had after-school clubs and we had youth clubs. After-school clubs basically were, you know, they basically opened the library um, until like, let's say 6 p.m. So maybe the old school closes at three. They open the library from three to six and it just allow people to kind of use the internet as much as they want, fall around. They might have you let you have a speaker. They might put out some biscuits and some drinks and shit and that'll be about it. And that was a way to kind of support kids who maybe had parents that worked many jobs, maybe who didn't have any parents, just to kind of give them something to kind of distract themselves so they didn't have to go straight from school to home and kind of, you know, get depressed again. Then you had youth clubs on top of that. So you had the after school club, which was you being in school. And then you also had a youth club. A youth club would be like a center where essentially there'd be like, there'd be like um, youth activated events in there. There'd be a snooker table. There might be a sports hall. There might be a studio there for you to make music and shit. And there might be like a little trade craft class in there. All these really cool things that you can do to keep youth engaged. And those are usually in like really disadvantaged neighborhoods, right? To kind of keep the youth off the streets. But for some reason over the years, they cut funding for those things. So the funding went for those things. So now there's no after-school clubs. There's no youth clubs. So those same kids that still need that kind of attention, need that kind of care, need those kind of distractions to keep them off the streets because there are some kids out there who will inevitably end up being a bad kid, like a you know gangster, wherever it may be. But kids like myself, who I would, you know, I wouldn't say I was naughty, but I was susceptible to bad influences. Like I could easily get fucking roped into something because I was just hanging around. But because I always had distractions of like after school clubs and youth clubs, I avoided 
becoming a part of a gang i avoided going to prison i avoided all these fucking crazy shit just because i was occupied that was it not because i was special not because i was super smart but because i was just occupied you know on you know fucking talking to random girls and chat rooms in some internet cafe somewhere right that was what kind of kept me occupied we don't have that anymore so that kind of you know leads to kids being more outside be more outside leads to kids you know kids already are frustrated and bored and shit they do dumb stuff and down and there we go they're in trouble so i really do wish there was more of an avenue or more of a place where kids could kind of let some steam off and those type of things and it, it could be more encouraged instead of having people just go straight from school all the way to home it's you know what i mean it's like you're going from school straight to your phone straight to home locked in again not really socializing people and it's not really allowing you to develop or to mature in any kind of meaningful way or become a valuable member of society i asked twing or Twenge, or however you pronounce the person's name, is if she should identify large differences by gender or ethnicity um, among teenagers. She pulled data from the University of Michigan Monitoring of the Future, a decades-old survey of teens, which we've used to make the following chart, the first flow of the share of 12th grader boys and girls who say that they go to friends with two or more times a week. From 1976 to 2022, the number of socializings uh, fell by a similar figure, about 30%. Hangouts declined a bit more among black teens and white teens so everybody's hanging out less which is super depressing i feel like nowadays what i've seen like i said before is that i've seen more people having to be active in their hanging out and have to be purposeful having to kind of you know basically create calendar invites for their hangouts ahead of time to schedule people in to make sure people kind of attend and go to these sort of thing which is incredibly incredibly depressing um so that spontaneity is kind of gone and especially in a city like london I feel like whenever I've traveled to places that are a bit warmer or places that have a bit more of a social aspect, like even if I go to places outside of London, I go to Liverpool, I go to Manchester, I'm going to Newcastle next actually very soon. But all those places in the north where they're a bit more family orientated, they're a little bit more friendship group orientated, it's so different from London on the weekends. You go out there on the city centre in Manchester and you'll see groups of people. Like you see a whole family going out together for for, for for dinner. You see a whole group of girls going out together for drinks, similar with boys. But in London, you see loads of groups of like two or one or three people. That's it, like strangers. Never really groups of like big friends or family. And so everyone's kind of individual. So I feel like maybe London specifically has that issue because everyone's kind of individual and life here is really hard and people are struggling. Uh, but then I feel like, you know, that kind of, funneling the hangouts only in bars and restaurants also doesn't help things because i feel like in the recent years there's been a big trend in people especially my friends in my social group who have kind of gone off drinking and doing drugs so a lot of my friends during the pandemic or maybe just because they just grew up decided hey i'm not really into the raves anymore because even i found myself even though i go to a lot of parties by myself anyway i found that even the friends that i did go to parties with have completely been disinterested and turned off from going to parties they don't care about festivals they don't care about raves anymore so those groups of people are completely gone from the clubbing scene they've completely disappeared and um, so have a lot of the young kids sometimes you go out you see some young kids but there's a lot of young kids that don't go to raves at all so it's a weird mix of people that you see when you go out a lot of like delinquents and druggies and alkies like myself but you don't really see a lot of fresh new people anymore or the people you just see before in the past so if you are that person who doesn't drink who doesn't do drugs um, who doesn't want to be in a bar also it's really difficult to kind of see your friends because that's all they do you know so it becomes and people don't really go to each other's houses anymore either i feel like people are a little bit more protective of their own personal space so it's it's a difficult situation to be involved in but i feel like if anything the best thing to come out of it is that you now know who your actual friends are 
So even though you don't have as big as a group as you probably did have pre-pandemic, the friends that you do have, even if it's one, you know that that's your fucking friend, that's your ride or die. Because, you know, you still keep in touch, you're still familiar, you hang out from time to time, whatever it may be, because all those kind of like, you know, loosey-goosey here and there friends are gone. So the ones that are left are should be your real ones, but it's just a shame that kind of spontaneity, that kind of randomness of friendships and hanging out and stuff has completely gone. And now people are legitimately scheduling times where they can hang out with their friends, like like they're doing a fucking meeting at work. That is really, really depressing. But, you know, I guess it's the nature of the game. I guess that is the nature of the game. Moving on from this, quickly went to mention this. I wonder, what is it about some women young women especially attractive young women who love to do this sort of stuff like just remind men where they're at just remind men humble them bring them back back to square one bring them back down to earth because in this particular picture here featured on the page you see a picture of mulatto and kwando rondo it's an old picture right because i think they look a bit younger than what they are now and she's put in the caption or she put i think maybe in the comments didn't hit though so Muleto's sitting on Quando Rondo's lap, looking really cute with a little dog in her hand. They're both smiling. Quando Rondo looks really happy to be there. And I guess people were assuming or thinking, oh, maybe Quando hit back in the day. But it doesn't matter if he did or didn't. It's just, why do you need to clarify this, Muleto? You know, Muleto, come on. Let, let the guy have his little time in the sun. She also looks spectacular in the picture, right? She looks really, really good here. Um, she, you know, she always looks good, don't get me wrong, but she looks really good here. He looks really good. It kind of serves both purposes. The picture makes it look like maybe he might have hit. You look really cute in the picture. Why do you care if people think he hit or not? Why do you have to clarify that? And I, I mean, it's, it's so unnecessary. Just let the guy have his time in the sun. You have the ability. You also have your little time in the sun because you look really good in the picture. Like, what is the problem with this? I don't really understand how people or some women love to clarify these sort of things. Just to bring a guy down and to remind him to kind of relax and settle down. It's like, come on, man. You're just having some fun. Kind of guy put up a picture and just kind of say, hey, you know, here's me and Lato back in the day and just leave people to kind of assume things. Isn't that okay? play into the fantasy a bit because if he didn't hit then he's not going to hit now that's fair enough but come on man don't piss on my chips don't piss on my chips man let me breathe let me breathe Lato. come on let me breathe so big up Lato for clarifying that he didn't hit and making it sure making everybody aware that that is not the case that is not the case you fucking love it you have to flipping love it you really really do move on we've got this article courtesy on tmz RIP to Sean Evans, um, TMZ host, and his girlfriend, they unfortunately have broken up. Love is officially dead. My reasoning of focusing on this article or this story is the following. What is it, This what is with these guys' infatuations nowadays with like porn stars and stuff? Like being in a relationship with them. I, like when did that happen? I've never been somebody that's been overly drawn or attracted to porn stars in that way, right? They they kind of are a um they kind of are like a utility right they have like a, a like in terms of like you getting a nut or busting a nut sorry but apart from that I've never really thought about a porn star outside of me maybe watching porn for a specific reason but nowadays I feel like guys are like really in love with porn stars like to the point where they want to be in a relationship with them which I feel like is obviously very um 
it's difficult to do because of the nature of their work. It's hard. And it's also, you don't want to be the guy that's kind of coming in saying, hey, stop doing the thing that you enjoy to do and be in relationship with me because that seems like, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. So I just don't, I don't really have an opinion on the, on the, on the work, line of work itself. I think everyone should be free to do what they want. You shouldn't judge somebody based on the fucking occupation they have. But I just find it strange that guys go out of their way to date people in that industry, then get surprised when, they do things that people in that industry do or then get ashamed when it gets exposed to the public and stuff because that's kind of what happened it feels like um from what i've been able to glean online it seems like the sean evans guy from hot ones and this girl had been dating for a while um i guess he told her hey don't make this public this is like a low-key thing i want to keep my private life private and you're very public and people know you so i don't want anyone to kind of know just keep it to yourself she was okay with that in the beginning but then over time as most as most women are she got bored of hiding her boyfriend and she posted him on social media during the super bowl weekend and i guess he didn't like that because it was a rule that she broke and obviously he broke off the relationship some people have, are, are adding to it and saying that maybe it's because adam 22 the fucking clout demon jumped on the back of it and made a tweet like oh it was so good fucking your girlfriend because i think he filmed some footage with this girl and his wife back in the day and maybe Sean Evans doesn't like Adam 22 and was a bit weirded out by being an Eskimo brother with him. And that's why he broke it off. But most likely it's the first reason. Most likely they had a conversation. They had some sort of agreement where he was like, hey, I don't want my relationship on social media. She broke the rules. He got personally offended and kind of broke it off. So pretty normal. But I just think I'm just more surprised at nowadays it being a thing where guys are actively trying to get in relationship with porn stars. I just think it's it's almost like similar to like, you know, when they tell women not to date athletes and stuff because they have so many options and they have so many distractions and shit and it's impossible for them to be like faithful. It's the same thing with porn stars, you would imagine. That sort of lifestyle is just difficult to have. Not even, forget the unfaithfulness because that's just a job, but it's just more so the that lifestyle is just difficult to have somebody decide to just sit down and become like a housewife sort of thing. I know it does exist, there are some extremes of women who just decide to quit completely adult entertainment and commit to their husband and or whatever and just be a housewife. But for the most part, it doesn't seem like the type of person in that industry who would be willing or able to kind of sit down and have a quiet, non-public life or non-public relationship. It has to be public because everything they do is sort of public. So it's no surprise that this kind of ended the way it did. But I thought about myself, I was like, you know what? I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful. And again, I'm just lucky. It's not anything special about me that I've never been the kind of guy that has like fantasized about being in a relationship with a porn star, has fantasized about being in a relationship with a really, really young woman. Like those are two things I've just never cared about, you know? And I think most, but I think most guys do. I think most guys do probably secretly wish that they could, you know, save a porn star, that they could, you know, most guys probably wish that they could, you know, um, be dating some super hot cheerleader or something. It's like, I've never understood the infatuation with a guy that's like 45, you know, being, a, being a, the, having a girlfriend that's like 25. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's hard enough talking to your little brothers or nieces and nephews. Imagine dating somebody that's like, you know, double, you know, 20 years old younger than you and so it's just like i can't imagine what that must be like day to day of course outside of the physical attraction and the sex will be amazing i understand what that's what people like but day to day like what what are you guys discussing over the phone 
what are you guys talking about? What are you texting about? Like, I really do wonder. I really do wonder. Let's read the article anyway. It says, um, not the best timing for Valentine's Day. Hot Ones host Sean Evans and porn star Melissa Stratton broke up less than 24 hours after their ship made headlines. Um, sources close to Melissa tell TMZ that Sean called up. Oh, see, this is why they broke up. She's in communication with TMZ directly. Imagine he said, hey, I, don't, I want my relationship to be private. And then she's talking to TMZ directly. <laughs> Yeah, this is the complete opposite of being fucking private isn't it um but then again i feel like as a guy as a guy you have to be you have to be a monster to tell a girl not to post you on their social that is a level of control a level of authority or you know um a level of yeah a level of authority on somebody that you shouldn't probably do and it's not going to end well i think it's impossible for a woman not to post you on their social if you're in a relationship and I just feel like you're you're a piece of shit if you're a guy and you do that to somebody. Fair enough, if you don't want to put them on your own social, that's your social media. But trying to control somebody else's social media is odd. Like what, she has to hide you when she's recording an Instagram story or you have to hide off camera and stuff like, it's so unnecessary. Like you cannot want to put it on, you know, you cannot want to tag them in pictures or whatever. Fair enough, but that level of control on somebody else's socials is just odd man especially now that we're all kind of mini brands and we all have our own quote-unquote platforms you know and valentine's Day, especially for people on social media like especially a certain breed of girls they just love it you know what i mean they love to just show people that they're in love they love to show people that oh there's someone that means something to me she's seeing all her friends on her feeds sharing stuff she probably just got she went, oh, i want to share something and then she put it out and then suddenly her relationship's over but you can't be also in communication with TMZ. That's a bit, you know what I mean? So, um, um, Sean called her up on Valentine's Day. <laughs> that is lethal. Breaking up with a girl on Valentine's Day is fucking, that is, that is some, that is some, that takes some balls. And broke up with her telling her he wanted to call it quits because of the media attention that they were getting. Also, just because he's into a porn star, would you say he's a freaky guy? I don't think so. I just think there's a breed of dudes out there who see porn stars as projects in the same way that women see bad boys and gangsters as projects. I think there's some guys out there who just legitimately, they fall in love with porn stars the same way women fall in love with fucking drug dealers. Um, I don't think it means he's freaky. I don't think so. I don't think because he's he listens to a porn star, he does some wild shit. I just feel like he just liked her for her. He saw something special in her. He wanted her to be his girlfriend and, you know, she blew up the spot. Um, which is weird. How can you blow up the spot if you're someone's? But it's just, anyways, whatever. We're told Sean expressed to Melissa he wanted to keep his love life more under wraps. Um, even though they got all these pictures. Um, what our sources say, Melissa found Sean's reasoning odd for a few reasons. He knew what she did for a living. Um, they started seeing each other, and he invited her to multiple public events in Las Vegas, leading up Super Bowl, and took exactly. But that's the thing that makes it legit. Then he was okay with her taking pictures for herself. He was okay being seen with her in public. He just didn't want it to be in the papers. And Sean Evans, he's famous, but he's not that famous. Right? He's not that famous. People are going to be digging through his rubbish to find out who he's dating. But when it's all over the media outlets, it's a bit much. I mean, I understand his reservations. But I also understand her being a regular woman that wants to share her boyfriend with the world, isn't it? And the fact that she's in love and she's happy. Like, that's not a bad thing. Um, but she definitely fumbled. She should have chilled out a bit. Wow, she's got like three Cartier bracelets on. Fucking hell, she's living well in it. And a Rolex. God damn. Um, TMZ was first to report that Sean missed a relationship after she shared series of photos of him at the Super Bowl. We broke the story on Monday and he broke up with her the following day. 
<laughs> I hope she got a lot of money from this, man. Hope it was worth it, bro. You 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 destroyed your relationship over a TMZ article. Our sources say Sean was fine with Melissa posting photos of them on their Super Bowl adventures. Another reason it was caught off guard here. No, he wasn't fine at all. We're told Melissa is sad. Our things are over because she believed that they would be. They really did have a genuine spark, but she has a hunch Sean was feeling pressure from his side. Was relationship went public? Yeah, he's just a good boy, isn't it? He's just a he's just a good boy. He didn't like all that media attention, and thought, you know, I just couldn't imagine having the guts to break up with a girl on Valentine's Day. You have to be cold hearted to do that, bro. Imagine the text you have to send. Like, imagine the chain. Imagine in the morning you text your girl, hey, happy Valentine's Day. And then there's some bubbles. And then after those bubbles, you have to, you, you break up with them. That is a savage list of fucking bubbles. Like, I couldn't do that, man. I'm a cold hearted guy, but I couldn't do that. I'd have to wait at least, at least the next day, at least the end of the week. Like go, going from like happy Valentine's Day to like, you know, <laughs> or the, or what you could do is just ghost them. That might be a way, just ghost them. Which is probably more savage, right? Imagine you're, have, have people done that? It must be a thing. People have done that, right? They've probably ghost divorced. They've probably did a ghost divorce instead of saying they want to be divorced from the person. They just stopped replying or they just left left home and didn't come back. And then the next thing the wife or the husband sees is a letter coming through the post with the divorce papers. I'm sure that's a thing. I'm sure that's happened before. Someone just woke up one day and said, no, I've had enough. Walked out on the family not said a word to their partner and just let everything go through the lawyers. <laughs> that is savage. Oh. Anyways, continuing on. I thought this post was really fucking something, right? Big up the person who posted this on Twitter. Um, Babe, wake up. Someone nine, someone's 9-11 just happened or just dropped and i think this is courtesy of a i don't know where this is maybe it's a linkedin post or something but somebody random posted this on social media and said the following i saw everyone's salaries at my company i work for a company with less than 60 people i was talking to our hr person about something else and they mistakenly shared their screen with everyone's salaries i took a screenshot and now i know i get paid the least in my team I feel super demotivated and a bit angry since I've been working here since we had five people. What do I do with this information? In my on on my life, I swear to God, this is probably one of the worst things that could ever happen to you in a workplace. I I've always said, especially in the UK, there's not enough transparency when it comes to pay. Everybody's very secretive, and I think companies prey on that because people are very secretive people don't want to say things they're very coy about their salaries people get shafted all the time so i've been in places where you know most of my experience is like customer service online um, marketing community management social media management market all that sort of stuff right and i've i can swear hand on heart i've been working in i've worked in three different companies as a social media manager and at one company my salary was like twenty seven thousand a year at one company, it was 37. Another company, it was 47. Each company, it was the same level of responsibility, same level of demands placed on you. It's not like I'm doing more work. But at one place, I got paid 27. One place, it was 37. One place, it was 47. Which makes you know that salaries are just made up. You can negotiate whatever the fuck you want to negotiate. But you can only know what to negotiate if you know what generally people in your um, job or in your fucking career of choice are getting 
if you don't know, you have no reference to to fucking negotiate. When you walk in and they offer you thirty seven grand and you are on twenty seven, to you that feels like you're on a hundred thousand. You're like, oh my god, you, you get fucking gassed. When really, it's not really that much because the person before that left or got fired was on fucking fifty thousand. So sometimes it can be a real curse to know what your colleagues get because it can completely alter the way you look at your job to the point where you don't want to be there anymore. That's the problem with it. So I think nowadays it's probably more important than ever for people to be more open and to be more honest about what they get paid because it's really important that we all know what the current what the current um you know market rate is for certain people in certain roles so that people can negotiate salaries effectively because especially in the uk companies are preying on people not sharing things because everybody's very private and doesn't want to reveal certain things but in the end you're the one that suffers and honestly in my experience once you once you find out somebody is getting paid more than you doing the same job than you and also they're not that much better than you you can never look at that same job again. It does, as that person says, it's incredibly demotivating. It makes it almost impossible for you to work normally again. You can't stop thinking about it all the time. That especially, And it always happens to people who do more than they're meant to do. It always happens to those type, I don't know why. It always happens to people who go above and beyond. The kind of people who turn up early, who leave late, who take work home. Those are the ones that get shafted the most, which is annoying because you'd imagine people that do that sort of stuff would get, you know, compensated better because in a fair world, a company would see that you're doing way more than you need to do. They'd recognize it and be like, hey, let's give you a promotion. You know what's funny, actually? Listen to this. I've just thought now. I think I've had way more acknowledgement of my hard work and people giving me a promotion, even if I haven't asked for it, in the service industry, v the corporate office industry, office world. You know what I mean? So I've worked in the shoe shop before as a weekend staff member. The managers liked how I've worked and be like, hey, I want to offer you a full-time contract. That technically is a promotion. That's happened more working retail than ever in an office. No one ever in an office has ever come up to me and said, oh, we love how you work. We love the quality of your work. We love that it's always on time. We love this. We love that. And now we're going to give you a promotion. I have to go and ask for the promotion myself. I have to demand it in a meeting or whatever. But in retail, in the service industry, working in bars, whatever, I've gone from a bar back to a bartender to this or that. Do you know what I mean? Like you get rewarded on the spot. Somebody will recognize your hard work and say, you know what? I like how you work. You should become an assistant manager. You should become a key. All this sort of stuff happens, but it never happens in the office space. Office space, if you go in there and they fucking undercut you and they give you a shitty salary, you're on that salary until you end, until the fucking time you leave. Sometimes they won't even give you a promotion. So you have to be a tuned type of things. And I, I really do wish there was more fucking transparency, transparency across um, salaries in different industries and we were more honest about what we got so that we could help each other out. But I guess, you know, workplaces, it's a bit dog-eat-dog. Um, everybody's afraid of losing their job and not speaking too much about certain things. I don't really know. I fucking hate it personally. I wish people were more honest. I know it's, when it's me and people ask me, I go above and beyond to share. I think it's important um, for people to know what the rates are, even if it's not somebody in the same sort of like, you know, job that you want to do, but just to kind of know roughly, okay, we're similar sort of age, similar sort of experience, da, 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 to kind of know generally what the rates are is really, really important because most people out there are getting 
severely underpaid especially in the creative fields it's fucking horrendous how much people are getting fucking shafted by certain people so you have to you have to be aware of that negotiate your rates accordingly and um, obviously there are platforms and things you could use tools like glassdoor is a good one glassdoor is a website you can check out where some companies you know where, you, where people basically leave reviews of companies they worked at sometimes they include salaries and stuff or you can just you know google it and basically get a rough idea on what the salaries are in certain places or certain jobs based on the city that you are you know that you're based in um but i think it's just important in general just to ask certain questions and maybe i've, I've even heard some people this is kind of a bit ott um, i don't use linkedin but i've heard some people that do use linkedin will sometimes message people um, that worked similar jobs than them and just search for them and just search be a locate well, I guess occupation I'm assuming and then should a random person say hey I know it's a random question but could you help me out I'm trying to negotiate a contract with my new company what do you make do you know what I mean and just be upfront, and then see if that person will tell them roughly what they make and then they can use that as a sort of like you know bouncing off point to know what to negotiate for because nowadays if you don't do that and you don't fucking fight for yourself these companies will take the piss out of you so um, hopefully if you're out there um, you do that hopefully if you're out there you do that hopefully if you're out there you do that moving on moving on moving on i wanted to quickly talk about this because i feel like this was absolutely one of the most hilarious things i've seen in a long 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 time so this is courtesy of um the one and only milagro graham so big up milagro and it features ari lennox somebody that i've been a big fan of right for the longest time when it comes to r&b music right sensual emotional um just beautiful r&b music but it's also not a secret to say that ari lennox isn't very good at social media she's not very good at the internet and she seems to be somebody that suffers a lot from trolling suffers a lot in general from just not being able to handle that side of being a artist nowadays right it's, it's it's an unfortunate part it's a necessary evil basically if you're an artist coming up you just have to use social media there's nobody you can kind of get around it but i feel like Ari Lennox just isn't made for it and this is another good example of it this is courtesy of um mob radio and it says here Ari Lennox reacts to a lookalike after fans confused woman for r&b singer and it says i don't think we really look alike so Ari Lennox went completely haywire and angry and crazy because people were suggesting that this woman here on the right looks a bit like her right so this woman here as you zoom in she definitely looks like Ari Lennox and she didn't like the comparisons and she just went on this crazy rant on her social media feed and um, basically saying oh we don't look alike at all you guys are gaslighting whatever nonsense was on here just kind of read it because uh, it's really sad but it also goes to show for me why it's probably safe to say that some artists probably shouldn't use social media even though it's a necessary evil it's not for everybody and that's completely okay it's okay just to focus on your art and put it out there but not everybody should subject themselves to this level of torment if this is what it's going to do to you so this is Ari Lennox's caption after people compared this other woman to her she says you welcome weak ass Jasmine Brand to some promo I don't know when so many weak ass low IQ people decided to start hating me for stating my own opinion on things. I had an amazing live yesterday that was filled with some of the most positivity and including posting this beautiful woman on my profile. She actually encouraged me to put some makeup on and look pretty and feel good about myself because she looks so damn good. You took a snippet like of all you weak ass blogs do shade room, neighborhood talk, live bites, whatever. Leave me to your low IQ self hating wolves of a fan base to obliterate me. 
you guys will never fucking understand what i've been through i may complain about so much shit that you and your low iq minds perceive my minuscule perceive as minuscule but you have no idea what i deal with in private every time you continue to shut me down for saying anything publicly you all literally can't wait to hate me I thought I was doing a positive thing. I thought it would be cool to show this beautiful woman some love and that was even met with hate. When did y'all decide y'all hate me so bad? Was it for knowing my damn worth? Y'all hate me for stating my opinion? The truth is I think she's prettier than me. <laughs> so this is where it comes from. It's all fucking insecurity, I guess, for Ari Linux. The truth is I think she is prettier than me. Maybe that's why I don't want to think we look alike and that's just how I feel. All of you can literally choke on ass tonight. Complaining about me complaining is complete twilight zone hell. Social media, you are a freaking lie. You bitches gossip and complain all day on your non-existent platforms and your podcasts and your social media pages shutting me down for literally existing as a black woman with bravery and feelings. It's not my problem y'all want black women singers to walk around like robots and not express how they feel um how the, their feelings it's cool though when i'm drunk on ig live making you laugh though right choke on ass tonight all of you for the rest of your lives so again loads of you know what you call it um contradictions on what she's saying but in general it's probably just an insecurity thing but in general not even trying to dissect it because i love ari lennox and i fucking love her music and i want her to win i just think in general she just shouldn't be on social media she should have a team maybe handling it for her, but she should not cut for it because I think social media by default is a place where you can go and complain and moan and bitch and cry. But people can also in reply, call you out for your moaning, bitching and complaining. And that's okay. You're just meant to ignore it and continue on. You're not meant to cry about them complaining. You're not meant to get upset about people complaining about your complaining. It's meant to be a free-for-all. You, you have an ability to say what you want, complain about somebody, you know, cutting in the line in front of you in the Walmart, complain about your Amazon delivery not getting there on time, complain about your airplane, being your, your flight being delayed. You can complain about what you want. But people are also allowed to kind of throw it back at you and, you know, mock you for being ridiculous or just poke fun at you just for the sake of poking fun at you. Sometimes it's mean spirited. Sometimes it can be a bit too much, but that's just the way of the Internet. And if you don't understand that, if you're not OK with that, you probably shouldn't be on the Internet. And that's OK. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Honestly, I don't think it's a bad thing that some people aren't cut out for the mean back and forth, the shit slinging context or the mud slinging contest that fucking permeates most of social media, especially some of these hip hop blog pages and shit. It's the nature of the game, right? They pick apart some of your mistakes and they just keep going back. Pick up KC. Pro tip, do the bare minimum at the start and gradually ramp up work efficiency. Swap companies every three years to avoid burnout, which also makes wage negotiations easier once your resume is padded. That's a very good tip. Very, very good tip. Very, very, very good tip there. Big up, Casey, um, for the tip there regarding the promotion of companies and stuff. That's a very good tip. I think that's something that I don't do. In my, the last bit you mentioned, I probably bounce around jobs too much. That's one thing I think my CV lacks is stability. A lot of the jobs I've had have not had them more than two years. So it, so, so it looks like I'm all over the place when really i'm trying to look for other roles that kind of you know fit my um you know fit what i want to do a little bit better or trying to bounce to kind of get more salary bumps but when you look at it you know cold heart coldly 
black and white it kind of looks like i'm inconsistent it looks like i'm unreliable because i'm leaving under the two year mark where if it, i think the three year mark is a good little time to kind of bounce around so really good advice there from casey big up you thank you for the donation um but yeah going back to this ari linux thing it's just really unfortunate because she's at this stage in her career now where she probably needs social media more than ever because she's independent because she's somewhat you know i guess in her own island she makes r&b music which probably isn't the most popular in terms of quote-unquote the urban genres out there so she's having to kind of use it more to kind of amplify and to signal boost herself and to kind of keep herself in a conversation but unfortunately you know some days are good some days are bad when it comes to social media she had a pretty bad day the other day and now people are looking at you like you're ridiculous because you felt insecure because the person that was it's just not it's whatever i think the the long and short of it is that she shouldn't be on social media and i wish we were in a place in culture or in ex artistic expression whatever it may be where some artists would be knowledgeable of that and be okay with like okay let me use my social media platform as a place to kind of post all my new videos and tunes and shit and you know let my fans know what i'm working on and my shows but it's not a place where i share my personality or i communicate back and forth with people because i'm just not built for it i think that's okay um there's plenty of artists like that i think adele's a good example of it right adele's not somebody that deals well with social media she doesn't use it as much so i think that's perfectly fine so i think ari linux just needs to find a way to kind of do that because so far, from what I've seen, she doesn't seem to do social media well, you know? Like, she's on the opposite side of, like, if Crayshon and those type of people can harness social media for the better, um, for the betterment, for their own betterment, even though it's super toxic, Onyx is on the up, it's a complete opposite. It seems to really kind of throw her off her course and kind of fuck with her head in real time or, like, in real life, which is obviously something that you don't want. You don't want fucking social media to actively impact you in your real life. So, hopefully, um, she figures something out and changes course because we don't want to see that going forward. We really don't next <laughs> next please next 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 we have to watch this so um you guys know that i'm a big fan of tremaine emery um the founder of denim tears you know um love that guy and that whole fucking period of supreme was one of the most entertaining and fun things to witness from afar when he got into a tit tat with supreme and basically declared that they were um white supremacist company because they wouldn't allow him to put some depiction of somebody getting a slave getting whipped or something on a t-shirt and that they weren't empowering black voices and that the c-suite were full of white people even though the whole company is like a amalgamation of fucking races from the store to the vision for the visions for the to the visuals that they put out there um the c-suite wasn't reflective of that and he basically accused you know james jebbio of basically being hitler right pretty crazy accusations to throw out there which is even funnier because people number one weren't happy when he got the job right so thinking oh he didn't deserve to get the job he was underqualified what does he know about supreme he gets a job which is a really surprising hire it's a really kind of clever hire a smart one for supreme's sake because they're hiring somebody that's a bit un what's it underground but it's a bit under the radar they're giving a chance to somebody that's just getting started who's kind of making a name for themselves maybe he can you know have a different kind of point of view a different sort of vision that he can kind of sprinkle across supreme and shit and obviously with the connection he has to new york and people associated with the brand it kind of made sense but it didn't work out cool he's now gone full steam ahead with denim tears it's more successful than ever he's selling more cotton reef you know bits of clothing that he could probably um you know get his head around making millions and millions of dollars off the back of it and now 
there's this even more of a sicker collaboration that he's got where he's linking up with Mark Jacobs. Um, Mark Jacobs is doing some sort of special collaboration thing project where they're linking up with a lot of like people associated with the brand, loads of family and friends. And he's now a part of this collaboration that's going to be, you know, propping up. I think it's the 20th anniversary, I think, to celebrate 20th anniversary, I think, of Mark Jacobs. So he's a part of the whole thing. But there's a video I want to share with you that's fucking incredibly funny. So this is a caption that he posts on his Instagram um, and a picture of him in front of the, the billboard, sorry, the, the advertising uh, poster here that features a lot of the collaborators involved in Mark Jacobs' project, including Mark Jacobs himself here at the end, and I think Futura and a few other people, and um, what you call it, um, the, I forgot the artist's name here on the side there, but let's read the caption itself, because I think the caption's funny, and then we're going to see the video that I think is even funnier. The caption from Dead in Tears, or Tremaine Emery, sorry, it says as follows. I started working at Mark Jacobs in the stockroom in 2006 at the Mark My Mark store on Bleecker Street. Worked for the company for nine years, ending my tenure as manager at the London Collection Store in Mayfair. The funny thing about Denim, the funny thing about Tremaine, I'll keep calling Denim Tears. The funny thing about Tremaine is that if you've read enough of his interviews, if you're familiar with him, you'll know that he repeats this Mark Jacobs story ad nauseum. I, there was a period in my life where I felt like I kept mentioning 1948 too much. I don't even think I mentioned the fact that I worked in the Nike store 1948 for like, you know, nearly 10 years or however long it was. I don't even mention as much as he does. But he repeats this story so much. But I think that is also a good thing. You have to kind of have a little bit of a narrative, a story, a theme about your fucking journey. You need to repeat a certain thing. Hey, I was fucking... Um, an intern for this person um my first placement was here um i i grew up with that person like you need to you need a little story a little narrative right you need something to kind of you know tell your fucking um fiction to put it out there and i think this is part of his the mark jacob story i was in the stock room then i went up then the measure that's my that was my way in fashion it's a story that he repeats ad nauseum but regardless let's continue that's how I started in fashion. In the stockroom, I just like Mark did, uh, um, whatever that thing is, many years before me, I never, in, I never felt entitled to anything. I just figured if I worked hard and treated people good, kept learning, um, stayed alive and was lucky enough, something could happen. I'm very grateful to be one of the 13 collaborators for Mark Jacobs. Oh, it's a 40th anniversary. Fucking hell. 40th year long as celebration for one of the greatest designers and coolest cultural figures of our time. Jesus, Mark Jacobs has been around for 40 years. Fucking incredible. So big up to Mark Jacobs in that regard, right? An incredible story. I think it's very inspiring too, especially people who are in the fashion industry. Um, I think it's a rare one because I think most people, myself included, who have worked in fashion, who have worked in streetwear, who have worked with clothes and who worked retail, it doesn't end like this. You don't go from working retail, suddenly being the cool guy to then having your own brand and all that sort of shit. It doesn't usually end that way. It just ends with you just never getting a job and just having to figure something else out. It's not, you know what I mean? Like that whole fucking retail, it's an illusion. It's a fucking fantasy. It's a dream that they kind of trick people, especially young kids coming from uni. Oh, work at the St. Laurent store, work at the Balenciaga store. You might, and nah, nothing happens. If anything, it's more important what you do outside of your job. Maybe you can leverage the job to kind of help the stuff you're doing, but you have to do your own projects, have your own magazine, start your own modeling agency, have your own brand, but you can't rely on working somewhere to get you to look like, especially retail, because it's so disconnected to the brand itself. Like there's nothing connecting Luwebe the store to Luwebe the fucking design studio. You know what I mean? You're, not, you're nowhere near to being, you know, Jonathan Anderson's design fucking assistant because you work part-time at Luwebe. It's not going to happen. You have to actively 
do things to get closer to Jonathan Anderson and to make it known that you're, you know, want that job. But just working and stocking shelves in Luebe's store isn't going to actually help you get that job. So the whole retail fantasy thing is a fantasy. Um, but obviously, he's one of the people that kind of was able to kind of break through and do his thing. Cool. No problem with that one. The funny thing that I liked about this was there's this video that he posts on his Instagram that is probably one of the most cringiest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, muy, 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 muy cringy, right? I don't think I've ever seen in my entire life something more cringy than what I'm about to show you right now. It's something that really did make me laugh. Let me just get up for you right now if I can see it. Because I think to myself, like, why? what are you doing? Do you think you look cool doing this? And obviously somebody in the background was thinking the same thing that I thought because they said in the background, some woman, I think, is like, that's so gay. (laughs) You can hear them. So here's a video. This is the video from, I think, his social media feed, right? And it features Tremaine spray painting the billboard that features him on there and putting the um, cactus plant flea market smiley face with the free eyes on it on the thing because i think cactus plant is also part of this collaboration she might be this um this asian woman there because i think cactus plant flea market is an asian lady right so it might be that lady there next to him who knows but he he spray painted the face on listen to the listen to the person in the background walking by look listen to the person walking by what they say the person that's so gay one more time (laughs) and they're completely right that's so gay gay. exactly it really is gay but i think that's part of being successful in this field you have to kind of be a little bit gay you have to be a little bit corny you have to be a little bit lame you have to be a little bit self-absorbed you have to be a little bit maniacal you have to be a little bit narcissistic. You have to be a little bit sociopathic. You have to be a little bit of those things to really advance anywhere, to really believe that you're the shit. Like, because he actually, this guy's walking around like he's fucking Basquiat doing this shit. He really does think he's doing something by spraying this little fucking smiley face on this fucking Mark Jacobs poster out here in the New York streets. He really does think he's fucking J.A. up here. Man thinks he's fucking 10 foot. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he really think he's fucking all city, like spraying this fucking dumb smiley face on here. It's really fucking hilarious. Like he really does think he's doing something. And it's even lamer. I think it'd be one thing if he just did it himself. The fact that he hired a guy with a camera to pan around and film him as he's fucking doing this cringy smiley face thing is even worse, right? What's that footage for? A documentary? Is that going to be on his Instagram somewhere too? Like, where's that footage going? This cringy fucking SLR picture thing where he's panning. It's like, come on, man. Come on, bro. Get a life. Get a life. But hey, um, congratulations to Denim Tears regardless or to Tremaine, sorry, and Denim Tears, I'm assuming. Um... So let's see where that collaboration happens and what happens with that going forward. Um, big up Mark Jacobs also. 40 years in the industry is fucking no joke. Um, you know, I always loved Mark Jacobs when I was growing up. Um, always a brand I kind of looked at and looked at for in the past, Mark by Mark especially. I remember when I was first kind of having thoughts of having my own brand. 
I was always inspired by the idea of Mark by Mark Jacob, just the name alone. I always kind of had this fanciful idea that I'd have like an Agassi of Agostino fucking brand. And the idea of it would be to kind of reverse how people launch brands instead of launching it based on ready to wear it'll be just accessories and then it'll go into ready to wear so you'd start off by making like hats belts bags you know whatever else it may be and then you'd go into making like ready to wear stuff which is you know kind of the inverse of what people usually do but in general um mark by mark now is having a bit of a resurgence a bit of a kind of reawakening um, i saw the campaign with louis Ziver and i think fk twigs and shit that was pretty cool so clearly it's coming back into the zeitgeist and shit so i'm eager to see what they do going forward with his collaborations and who they collaborate with going forward but yeah absolutely hilarious um situation um tremaine out here literally thinking he's fucking banksy um, thinking he's John Michelle Basquiat and shit, thinking he's doing something special with this stuff. But the collaboration should be interesting, though. I'm not going to lie. Um, a lot of people collaborating here. There's a full post, I think, courtesy of Mark Jacobs' um, what you call Instagram account. You've got here Sophia Coppolo, um, the director. You've got Pharrell. You've got um, Cactus Plant. You've got Murakami. You've got Futura. You've got Alison McKin. Oh, is that Alison McKin, the stylist? Is that what he looks like? Is it? I didn't know that. I literally have never seen a picture of Alison McKinn in my entire life. I didn't know that's what he looks like. Fair play. Yeah, Alison McKinn, the legendary stylist, that's where he is. That's a fucking serious outfit, isn't it? The bomber jacket under the hoodie with the cargoes and the, <clears throat> what do you call it? And the Mark Jacobs platforms, right? <clears throat> Which he's fucking famous for. Really cool. And you got Futura there. You got Tremaine from Denim Tears there. And who else, who else you got here? You got Anna Sue. Okay, that's Anna Sue. Sorry, that's not Cactus Plant. You got Anna Sue. And then you've got the duo from uh, Vaquera as well there as well. So interesting brand of people he's collaborating with. Mostly looks like it's a friends thing. I'm assuming because a lot of these people have that he's probably got too many friends with brands, Mark Jacobs, isn't it? So maybe a lot of them can't work with him because of the contractual obligations, right? But there's a lot of people here that aren't featured on the actual picture. There's a Pat McGrath on the tag. We've got Nigo also is going to be collaborating on here. We've got, um, I don't know who this is, 100, 100, 1800 New Bold. I don't know who that is, but they're collaborating with them. Um, we've also got Heaven. There's, all, there's going to be Heaven collaboration, which makes sense. And then what else have we got here? That's it, right? Yeah. What is the 100? I don't know what that 1800 New Bold is. What is that? It sounds familiar. What is 1800 New Bold? I have no idea it's called someone called nick newbold i don't know who nick newbold is but they're also collaborating with um mark jacobs going forward but yeah big up tremaine big up denim tears can't wait to see what they put out can't wait to see what they put out moving on from that i went to actually double check supreme what's happening supreme and what is actually sold out from their first drop because i think i was kind of skirted over that release of the spring summer 2024 collection maybe one of my favorites to date um really cool stuff there talking about cactus plant um this varsity jacket was designed by cactus plant and it's completely sold out which is good to see one of one of the better ones to come out in a while i'm not really a big fan of the big you know crazy logos on the front of supreme you know varsity jackets and stuff but i think the fucking varsity like this is done really fucking well um wool blend with a cowhide leather sleeves feel and quilted satin lining snap front closures it comes in the red it also comes in this nice mustard colorway and the black I'd probably get the red just for the sake of it. And it's all sold out. 518 as well. So that goes to show you that that was definitely a very popular piece that everybody thought was popular. I also like the fact that the, the fur jacket sold out. This is one of my favorites too. I love this fucking fur jacket. This faux fur jacket is really fucking cool. And good to see that it's sold. Good to see I'm not the only guy that had the same vision. Faux fur, it comes in the brown and the black. That looks really cool. 
um, completely sold out in all colorways. Oh, look, it's got a nice little supreme lining as well. Oh, I love that. It's got this nice supreme embroidery on the inside too. That's fucking beautiful. And a nice chain, um, what you call it, hang tag here, so you can obviously not rip. 348 as well, not too bad on the pricing. The only thing I'm a bit disappointed in is the price of this Fishtail Parker. I really want to get this to replace the just for, Justice for All one that I lost a few years ago. But this Futura Fishtail Parker is £458. That's way too much for a spring jacket, man. Spring Parker. I know it's got, luckily it's got a lining in it. It's got a little lining on the inside right there, as you can see. It's got a little lining in there. So it's it's kind of substantial. There's a bit of a, there's like a two for one jacket thing going on there. But it's still a lot of money for a fucking Parker for spring. Like it's a lot of fucking pee. So not surprised to see this is sitting there. The black and the snow camo. I'd probably get the olive. That's a classic colorway. And obviously the text at the back. I'll definitely take the hood off straight away. No hood on that one. We don't need hoods on our fucking fishtails. But that's a pretty nice jacket. And I really do like that. Not surprised. What other thing is sold out here? These anoraks are always sold out. These half zips. Kids love these. Same with some of these shiny bits. The shirts always sit for a while. Not surprised. Long sleeve football jerseys always sell out as well. These have become such a cool thing to wear nowadays. The kids that that kind of style with the baggy jeans and the Timberlands and the football jerseys. So not surprised to see this Supreme 1999 jersey sold out. This um football this football esque jersey is beautiful. This soccer jersey. I love the I love that design where it's almost like bleached or faded out in between and you got this blur effect with um the Supreme MCM XCVI in the on the bottom there. That's fucking nice. Actually the colour in red is probably my favourite. That's a really nice colourway with the pink. I'm a big fan of that. We can scroll down here, continue on. Let's see what else is sold out. Oddly enough, are there some of these long sleeves? No, long sleeves are all there. The t-shirts are all there. Is that vest gone? Wow, yeah, the vest is gone. So that vest is gone. That kind of a jacket vest thing is kind of gone in both colorways. The leopard or the zebra print top is still there. The hoodies with the football numbers are all gone, right? The 34, they're all gone. The regular plain hoodies with the Supreme on the hoodies, these are gone. The t-shirts are all still there. Um, long, this long sleeve, oh, who actually did this long sleeve design? This is really cool. I would I'd wear the fuck out of this in pink. San Sebastian long sleeve shirt. Is that available in my size? Here it is. I probably might get this one. This is really nice. All Cotton Classic Supreme long sleeve t-shirt with a printed graphic on the front. Um, the artwork is by an artist called Miho Kuri, Kurinagi. Oh, really nice. I, I do like the design of this and the, and the graphics on the front. That is gorgeous. I'm not going to lie. I will definitely wear the fuck out of that. Especially in purple or in this pink colorway on my fucking dark black skin oh that look fucking fire i might have to fucking get that actually i'll keep an eye on those long sleeves and definitely get that on payday i'm not gonna lie um if it's still there let's scroll down what else do we have still available what is sold out here t-shirts are all there the pants are still gonna be there because people always sleep on the pants i might actually get these white cargos I, i'm not gonna lie i do really like these white cargos I know they're a bit crazy for most of you that are watching or listening, but there's a pair of white cargo pants. They come in camo, there's black, there's olive, right? There's some regular colorways here, obviously in the cargos. You can see there's a red tiger camo, but I really want this pair in white. I know it's a bit nuts. I know it doesn't make any sense to buy white cargo pants, but where else can you buy nice cargo pants in white like this, you know? Like, and it's got a drawstring at the end, the hem as well. You can snap it on. Like, I might have to buy these. And fucking swag these out in an all because I'm 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 into wearing all white these days. 
as a little feature, especially when I go out, you know what I mean? Just to kind of just to kind of jazz jazz it up a bit, you feel me? Just to kind of remind people what what time it is, you feel me? I think I might have to jump on the all white flex. So I do like those white cargo pants. Um let's continue on and look at some last bits here. We got the cargo pants that we like. I like the hats. Hats are all really nice. I can't wear any camp cats, but some of these ones with the boys cool. This beanie is fucking banging. I'm not surprised it's sold out. It kind of reminds me of that other one that released last season with the fraying bits of material. The backpack is beautiful. I'm not sure some of you guys don't like Supreme backpacks, but I think this might be one of the better ones they've done in a while. Um, it's covered in a grid pattern that's all 3M. So, um, you know, when it obviously light shines on it, it's all going to fucking glow. I kind of like it in the orange. I'm not going to lie. I think the orange backpack might be my favorite that orange backpack might be my favorite um in the colorways or that or the camo um and then of course you've got her in a smaller bag it's the same design this bag i think the bag here this shoulder bag might be the best one for like a dj bag to fit all my headphones and usbs and shit that might be the one to go forward with it um and then we've also got some scissors here we've got the mechanic gloves which i love um oh this the band is that a bandana the bandana sold out shit okay fair play and then obviously the air force ones in black are always sold out as well so quite a decent first drop to be fair quite a decent first shop lovely lovely stuff there lovely stuff there from the one and only supremo the one and only supremo moving on from that i also quickly wanted to check this so this is courtesy of hypebeast regarding the salihi bembry um crocs he's got a new pair of crocs a new design the crocs is called the saru mule um i'm gonna say this out loud as much as i like salihi bembry and i think personally for me i feel like his best work is mostly the stuff that he does in collaboration i think when he designs stuff from the ground up it's a little bit sketchy but i feel like the, even the croc stuff that he's been knocking out of the park with I feel like it's starting to get a little bit bored. I'm starting to get a little bit bored of it. I think he needs to kind of spruce up the design um, or the approach or the aesthetic or the themes, whatever it is that kind of lends itself to designing the way that he does with Crocs and kind of freshen up a little bit because I'm kind of getting bored. I'm not going to lie. As much as these aren't that offensive, I'm kind of getting bored of the aesthetic. Maybe some bored of Crocs overall because I'm wearing them all the time. Maybe because the collaborations have been oversaturated and they're killing them. But I feel like this is kind of a little bit boring. I'm over it. Maybe one you see it in different colorways. But effectively, it's a regular Croc that you'd imagine, a like mule teps Croc. Essentially, there's no strap on the back, so you can't put these in sport mode. But they look like they have a bit more of a thicker sole a thicker outsole, midsole type of vibe. Um, he's got his signature thumb print, um i'm not sure if it's a fun print or it's a topology thing i forgot what the term is for, for it in terms of the ground and shit um the tectonic plates or whatever it may be but regardless you know that swirly pattern he usually has on the sole he kind of has those um all over there so it kind of wraps around the outside as well and they're all kind of monotone all one color no real other bells and whistles so pretty you know easy to wear i would assume but i'm kind of just tired of the aesthetic I think when it comes to ben, Lily Benbury, I kind of want him to kind of spruce things up a little bit and kind of reawaken things. I'm a bit bored of what I see from the stuff that he puts out. But again, maybe I'm being a little bit too picky and I should kind of relax and just let him do his thing. I'm not really too sure, but I feel like the Lily Benbury Crocs experiment has probably run its course. But let's read the article. Lily Benbury has revealed his latest creation with Crocs, a new mill silhouette dubbed the Saru. The fourth completely original silhouette that Benbury has designed for Crocs is it that original though it's just a regular croc that's just been 
there's no strap no it's not that crazy let's let's relax um the, the fourth originally um silhouette that Bembry has designed for crocs after the 2021 polex clock um one of the most singular styles of the decade thus far yeah the polex one is really nice to be fair i've got to give him that that polex clog has been doing bits 223 polex slide and the forthcoming polex juniper sneaker the saru takes the designer signature fing- fingerprint design and moves it into the midsole and outsole, leaving a top largely unchanged from the Crocs classic clog. Exactly. So he's taking the, yeah, he's just taking the sole that he usually doesn't put it on a regular Croc without the strap. Um, two different colors of the design have been revealed so far. The first, which is a burnt orange, is pictured above. Yesterday, Benbury um, posted a faraway look at the detailed shot of a tan colorway on his Instagram stories. The first of these images, both of which have been seen below, was accompanied by campaign day. So we've got more images here as well of a new colorway so it's, we got it in tan yeah just look at regular clocks for me i get it they look decent enough but i'm also maybe it's just me i'm in the i'm at a point now i think after reading the review of the recent rick owen show where he basically said he's now designing to be like anti what's that thing called um when you go to an airport i forgot what it's called anti-tsa or anti just airport wear, right? Because nowadays when you go to, when you go and catch a flight, most people that go to the airport are always wearing leggings or, you know, slouchy sweatpants or whatever it may be, or tracksuits. No one's really doing what we do in the past where you kind of do get dressed up. Sometimes if you're going on a weekend trip, you might actually wear your party outfit on at the airport so that when you land, you dump your stuff and you just could go straight out. People nowadays are just wearing their pajamas at the airport to be comfortable. So I'm at a point now where I'm trying to go back to that, actually. I'm taking Rick Owens's, you know, lead and getting dressed up when I go to the airport. Like, I would wear something I'd actually go out clubbing in, like big boots, nice pair of jeans, a cool jacket, a t-shirt and shit. Even though it's going to be way more hassle to take my fucking massive New Rock Spice boots off every time I go through the fucking, you know, metal detectors and shit, I'd much prefer to kind of actually feel like I'm dressed up and I've, you know, taking some time to put myself together as opposed to just wearing pajamas so i can just be comfortable on the plane because who gives a fuck i mean it's just a plane ride it's not that big of a deal um it doesn't always need to be comfortable and sometimes looking sharp um and kind of you know in and and doing away with that comfortable sleepwear pajama wear thing is definitely the way to go so maybe that's why i'm now at a point where i'm kind of getting off of crocs even though i wear crocs myself um day to day just as something to kind of you know wear around the house i'm not somebody that believes in wearing these things you know socially outdoors in real life and shit i feel like if you have enough time to put on an outfit to have a shower to wash your pussy to wash behind your fucking balls to wash behind your knees and your ears and put on a fresh outfit you should have enough time to put on some shoes i hate people who do all that stuff put on an outfit and then put on sandals you know like fucking brian callenser like come on man like if you have if you have enough effort to put on a pair of skinny jeans or a pair of fucking jeans in general you should have enough decency to put on some nice shoes you know what i mean and not put on ankle socks you know what i mean like actually wear some regular socks as well those are what should go about it so maybe my aversion to Sally Bembry's new model of, sh- of crook, clog, clug, whatever it's fucking called on mule is that i just want to get back to the world where people are getting you know, are dressing up more, are, are taking more care of how what they look like when they step out. So I think for me, um, I wouldn't want to wear Crocs when I go to the airport. I'm going to want to wear my big fucking 
you know, double decker Dr. Martins, my Jaden Boots, my fucking Rio, Rick Owen Geo Baskets, my Rick Owen Ramones, you know what I mean? Like my Rick Owen Kiss Boots, I eventually get them, my big Balenciaga shoes. I would go out there and just cause a nuisance for the people at the airport and really make their job difficult by wearing something aggressively, um, you know, unconducive to the place that I'm at. I think that's where I'm on. Um, it's yet to be revealed that Silly Benbury Crocs I Real will be released alongside the Crocs Juniper. The efforts with Crocs are just some of the forthcoming projects from potentially active designer as he's recently been hinting at a partnership with Louis Vuitton. Okay, cool. So he's going to what? So there's going to be a Croc, there's going to be a Silly Benbury Crocs and Louis Vuitton thing coming up soon. Fucking hell. Really? Do we need that? Do we need 600 pound Crocs? <laughs> I don't know if we do. But anyway, regardless, big up Silly Benbury. It's good to see another black man out there doing bits out there in footwear. I'm just to get bored of the silhouette and the aesthetic. I want a return to fucking dressing up and shit. But maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. We have to. We need to. And we must just quickly go over what's happening with E1. So as most of you guys know, E1 has been involved in a little bit of turmoil recently because their founder, one of their co-founders of E1, a guy called Yuval Hen, had been exposed as an active member of the IDF, right? Active as in like just the other day, he personally flew to fucking Palestine. He flew to fucking Gaza and allegedly picked up arms and went and slain a bunch of people out there, allegedly, right? So, you know, force and fleeing to everybody out there that's going through what they're going through, you know, solidarity and love and light and support to all my Palestinian brothers and sisters and free Palestine until the fucking end. But allegedly... Yuval Hen was out there on the front line fighting for the IDF, which is fucking crazy when you think about what place E1 plays within the clubbing scene and landscape in London and the fact that they've got all these progressive, um, you know, um, parties that are very forthright and vocal about the support of Palestine, all this sort of shit. To have one of the founders be actively out there, you know, murdering people, quote unquote, allegedly, I don't know nothing, don't sue me, is fucking crazy, right? So let's kind of go over the article courtesy of RA where they kind of round up everything that happened. So RA as follows. Yuval Hen, co-founder of London Club E1, has resigned as director following the allegation that he recently served in the Israeli Defense Force in Gaza. According to Companies House, the Israeli club owner and former photographer left his post at E1 Records Limited and Studio Space Limited and Upspace Limited earlier today. February 16th, Hen's business partner Oran Arush remains in charge across all three companies. So because of the backlash that was happening online and because everybody was essentially, you know, um, cancelling E1, DJs were dropping off and saying that they weren't going to perform there. Um, people were putting pressure on pressure, sorry, on Club Verboten, the legendary kink party to cancel but they didn't cancel they followed through and did the event which i agree with because it's so last minute but loads of djs dropped out and didn't want to perform there anymore and i'm assuming going forward they're probably going to struggle to keep a lot of their more progressive um you know um parties that are basically very forthright in the support of um the palestinian people out there to keep them on board and generally the community might probably turn their back on them so they're kind of suffering for all that sort of shit and obviously the guy got nervous and he withdrew but unfortunately for him the evidence that's out there suggests that you know he's still probably an active he's still probably receiving some type of money from the club that's probably going to go back to funding that war um over there in palestine and obviously um desecrating and dis dismantling and destroying people's lives over there and in general if i'm not mistaken 
um, this resignation has only come about the other day, even though their statement that they put out is suggesting that the Yuval Hen guy left in October or something, which obviously isn't the case because he just resigned from his post just the other day. Um, it continues to says the resignation follows allegations that surfaced yesterday on Instagram via a joint post by Ravis of Palestine and writers against the war on Gaza. It features a screenshot of a now deleted Facebook post from someone who appears to know Hen. The text references Hen fighting somewhere in Gaza and is accompanied by a photo of him seemingly in IDF uniform. And if you want to just have a double check about that, we'll go to the Ravis of Palestine actual page, which is over here, and you actually see the screenshot, which is wild to think, right? Wild to think that, you know, as there are events happening in Pal in in E1 that are maybe um you know with the proceeds going to helping people in Palestine maybe there's DJs wearing certain you know regalia and items of clothing and support the people over there the actual founder of the club itself is literally on the front lines you know with a fucking gat in his hand um going there and actually maybe supposedly maybe not hopefully not killing people can you imagine can you imagine the fucking contrast that has happening with this club culture stuff we're going through it's fucking nuts the thing that i'm most surprised by and i'd love somebody to tell me who has more information about this i'm surprised that the amount of israeli people who are involved in the electronic dance community or industry or scene maybe something that i wasn't aware of but i'm surprised that there are so many israeli people like Isra israelis are like a big part of electronic music scene in general across the board because you think about the issues that was going on with the whore you think about boiler always like it's really interesting to see that there's so many israeli people that are plugged into dance music across europe like it's really really interesting and i wonder why that's the case it continues specifically why that country those people i wonder maybe because they obviously have a very you know popular dance music electronic scene there there's a big gay scene there also maybe that's part of the reason why but it's interesting that there's a lot of israeli like israeli people like are very you know they're very much a part of club culture and industry and shit um they're probably i'd imagine if they own all the clubs there's probably a large majority of them that also own a lot of the record agency a lot of the booking agencies and shit so yeah, interesting. It continues. In a statement shared with Resident Advisor, E1 said no connection to political movements and confirmed that its previous owner has stepped away in October due to being deeply affected by the ongoing crisis across Israel and Palestine. That's hilarious, right? How are you going to be affected by the war and what's going on there in Israel and Palestine, but then you're dressed up in uniform of the IDF? Like, So you're concerned about the safety of both people, but then you've got a gun and you're dressed up in regal of the IDF. So what? What's happening there? Please let me know. How does that make sense? Um, the club added will continue to provide a safe space for people to enjoy club culture in East London. This is insulting, isn't it? How can you I already the term or the phrase safe space is definitely overused. It's definitely a ruse. It's definitely a virtue signaling tool that actual abusers use to cover their tracks. You think of fucking crossbreed, RIP that party, right? The promoter or the person behind it was all high and mighty acting as if like they got some safe space and they were better than everybody else. And I had a bit of an occurrence with the main guy um, who used to run crossbreed when I went to Bergheim and there was some girl that was, you know, looking like she was, going through something and i was trying to help her out with some other girl and i put my hand on the shoulder to whatever to kind of go over to her like just you know instinctively not even thinking about it and he was like don't touch her like you're trying to make it look like i was being a creep or something right you trying to make me basically embarrass me for everybody i was like bruv like what the fuck are you doing jeremy like like caught me off guard 
And then later on, you know, he gets exposed of being a fucking super turbo creep and running this kink sex positive party thing, but also using it as cover to allegedly, um, you know, do some fucking shady shit behind the scenes to the point where that whole that whole party had to kind of implode and, you know, fold into itself and shit. And it's completely gone. and It's not around anymore. So people love to overuse this term safe space to cover their tracks. So it's even more disgusting to see these people, E1, using the term safe space when the fucking co-founder of the club is a fucking idf soldier like how dare you you know what i mean like jesus christ in response to the situation popular sex positive party club of burton cut ties with e1 earlier today with a statement it won't return to the club in march though the tonight's events featuring grace dow will go ahead unfortunately grace dow also dropped out so i don't know who played maybe they had to just have their friends and family playing the funny thing is everybody was publicly dropping off from playing club of burton but i bet you they got loads of dms from people also saying hey i'll play I'll pay for free. You know what I mean? That's the nature of the game, man. There's so many, there's so many DJs, but such a lack of opportunities that if you are taking yourself out of playing certain gigs based on your political leanings or how you feel um, about certain people, about certain people or certain scenes or whatever it may be, there's going to be a queue of people willing to take your position down the line. So, you know, it is what it is. It continues. So that's basically what happened there. So that was obviously a shocking, you know, feature or something that happened recently. And then the other thing I thought was really funny was this post courtesy of Ravers um, for Palestine and also Nini H, who I'm a big fan of, right? I love Nini H. I've spoken about her plenty of times here on my flipping little podcast. But I thought this was incredibly cringe incredibly cringe and you know you need to give your head a wobble and fucking chill out a little bit so nini h posted on her story remember what i did in that club right she obviously is starting to like jack herself off a bit and she posts this screenshot of a video that features herself playing in e1 where she manages to play and she's got um what you call it a scarf a kafir and she basically waves it around her head and she's i guess is trying to say that oh look at how brave i was when i was playing in e1 and i waved this scarf above my head i'm like come on nini h come on babe like i like you you seem like a chill person but you know what i mean you're not ahead to me you know what i mean you're not some fucking freedom fighter out here because you decided to wave a flag above your head it's not that serious you know what i mean you didn't do that much and i think people out there are really conflating the fact that they're sharing posts they're sharing hashtags and stuff as if they're like doing something it's like i get it you're supporting i get it you're a good ally you're a great ally you're spreading the message you're keeping their you know you're keeping this plight alive and in the in the new cycle not making sure people not don't forget you're making sure the resources are being shared how you can help all this sort of stuff but let's not confuse that for actually being on the front lines for actually having people within your family pass away and stuff for actually affecting you in your real life like let's not conflate feeling something and also being there on the front lines doing something like and also come on waving a fucking flag like a sorry a scarf sorry um come on let's let's relax let's relax a little bit but um i do like some of the posts from these other platforms or the other organizations such as safe only limited which is um an organization i guess that helps to work with clubs to provide something close to a safe space or people training in terms of how they can deal with um, certain communities that go to these kinds of clubs and make sure they deal with them with a certain level of sensitivity and whatnot. And um, they have declared that they are cutting 
um, of their communication or relationship with E1 from this moment onward, which is a big deal, I'd imagine, because that's probably a big contract for them. So the fact that they are putting their principles, their morals, their political leanings um, at the front and centre and really kind of, you know, basically um, letting that affect their pocket, it says a lot about them and how much I rate them, that they would be willing to do that because I'm sure this is probably going to cost them a, a bunch, but they, they can't in good conscience um, supply support or work with E1 knowing um, that they're one of their founders was part of IDF. So I really do respect Safe Only um, for putting out the statement. The statement they put out says as follows. The struggle for liberation has many fronts. We are in full support of our friends at Club Verboten and recognize and appreciate the huge amount of work they have done to protecting and advancing our interpersonal freedoms. We remain opposed to the state of Israel and its brutal occupation of Palestine and are committed to taking action to find occupation, to end occupation, sorry, however we can. Our actions here are continually evolving in co-creation with the Safe Only team. This is core to our practice as a collective that exists to affect change across many different liberty fronts in recognition of the joint struggle we also committed to ensure safe intuitive working environments for our team that allowed them to work with integrity pride and confidence we believe that cancelling our work with e1 was the right thing to do given the revelations about the owner we look forward to working with cover person again in a new venue so i love that you know again cutting them off like hey we're, even if it's going to hurt us we're not going to work with them anymore because it doesn't line up with our models, our principles and our worldview. And that is that. I fucking respect it. I love to see that sort of stuff. But I'm wondering going forward what some of these other events are going to do. Like, what are they going to do? And I, I'm wondering what, what our punter is going to do. Because I think on there's a lot of pressure on promoters more so to make a to to take to make a stand especially if you are pro palestine and anti anti zionist anti zion you know anti israel you are out here saying all these big things and going and doing taking part in the protests and the marches and stuff this is when it really matters though do you know what i mean like what if like are you really going to stand are you really going to stand on business yes or no um so i'm curious to see what some of these promoters are going to be doing for some of these forthcoming events coming up like will they make a stand and also cancel their events will it be the djs cancelling first at least the events getting cancelled but i think most punters won't care that's the real truth of the matter most people that go to these events aren't going to give a shit um they don't really they're not into the weeds as much as i am with this sort of stuff um they just go to see certain djs they go to see for certain parties but they don't really care about all the other background stuff that's happening because again this uh, even though this is on a public platform i think most people outside of the you know the i guess the nerdier chin stroke inside of things that i'm involved in don't really know about any of this sort of stuff so i've got a feeling that most likely the e1 will still have a bunch of people in there right they've got parties here with kabosi happening soon they've got a party here with pan Paul happening soon we've got a jimmy jules and tricks playing there we've got stella bosi who's a big um influencer online there's a lot of like interesting or funny co te techno content she's going to be there that's going to be crowded you've got quite a lot of big events you've got a sarah landry event she's huge so i think a lot of people are still going to just end up going and not really give a shit so i wonder if this is actually going to have any real life um consequence or effect to e1 or if it's just going to be a bit of chatter online and then it's going to kind of go and kind of leave from there on i'm curious to see how it kind of works out i really am curious to see how all of it pans out so but i went to also check actually their instagram to see what people are saying so let's actually check the comments on the ravers of palestine stuff i'll see what the temperature is and what people are saying regarding this crazy revelation about the co-founder of e1 so it's curious to see what they're going to say here so the owner founder of e1 we saw already we've got an emoji here from adonis 
um, with a vomit emoji. We know what they mean there. We've got another person saying here, oh, we've got um, Sama Abdul-Hadid saying, keep up the good work for dating us. Another person here saying, he was my boss ages ago. This does not surprise me in the slightest. Him and his business partner both celebrated when Netanyahu won years ago at the office. So, Jesus. Yuva resigns director today. This person says he also resigned at the same time as the other music business, E1 Records Limited. While his recognition speaks for itself, E1 is still an Israeli-owned company. In fact, it has been since the 2015, according to the company warehouse, company, sorry, register, the Israeli M. Arush Uren is, is, is now the only appointed director. It's crucially important to know who owned managed enterprise. Seeing Yuval's wealth, influence and his time in the army, there's no doubt that some of his money made it through to businesses will be donated towards the country, Israel, where he so proudly served and today perpetuated um, perpet sorry, perpet perpetuating atrocities i can't believe that all these beers tickets and mixers and liquors i've purchased in e1 might possibly have landed in israel the army yeah exactly that is really hard to take especially if you're you know if you're out here fighting for palestinians on this side of the world you're protesting you're sharing things online resources and stuff to know that some of the monies that you've spent in that club are gone towards fucking harming the very people that you are trying to actively fight for that's got to do something to your mental bro this post is ridiculous the previous owner has nothing to do with the venue plus he runs a community based on music lovers they have no political relationships you guys are just here to just gain some likes but nothing is going to happen to the venue no, that's, there's, there's kind of some truth in this, but I also think it's fairly okay for people to, you know, um, base their club-going decisions on who people are behind the places that they're going to and whether or not they align with them politically. I think it's a bit, obviously, overall, it's a bit lame. I think we should get to the point where clubbing is apolitical, but unfortunately, it isn't. It's never not going to be apolitical, right? It's always going to be political. I think people could argue that the genesis of fucking clubbing is intense intensely um, political itself so we're never going to get to a point where it's just like oh just care about the music just dance man it's never going to be that so if that's the case and you are politically active you should base where you go based on the politics of the club that you go to if it doesn't align you are well within your rights to say go fuck yourself and take your money elsewhere that should be what we should be promoting it's just a shame that in london we don't have many options so people are probably going to be forced to keep going there because there's not many of there's not many clubs here that book the people that they kind of book um they're you know it's just kind of the nature of the beast so you're gonna have to decide are you going to uh take the hit on your social ex you know dalliances to kind of you know back your political leanings and support or are you going to stand on your shit and back the people that you're fighting for and take your money elsewhere another one friends is a rabbit hole that begins with e1 and ends at fold i think this is unfair i think they they already tried to do the whole fold cancellation thing and i think the most they could find out was that one of the founders was involved in some sort of um crypto no some sort of like scam to get money and then that money was used to buy equipment early on for e for fold which i understand because pioneer decks they don't you know pioneer don't do discounts you have to buy everything at fucking retail value or at least cost price so Whoever they had to do to start that club and to build it, I'm for it, even if it was criminal activities. Um, now the club is fucking one of the best clubs in London, so I definitely do um, champion doing some level of criminality to go legit, so I'm all for it. But that was the most that they could find. And I think they had like a really, you know, a, a kind of ill-advised post about what was going on in Palestine and they, you know, they closed the comments. But I think that was it. Uh, but I think Fold are basically clean. So let's not try to cancel Fold for nothing, to be honest. Let's allow it. E1 has always had a, the bookiest energy, so so somehow doesn't come as a surprise absolutely awful place and vibe will not be missed that's the thing that i say 
I've always said I've been the number one champion hater of E1. I've always fucking hated it as a club. So it's a shame it hasn't. It's not being cancelled because it's a shit club. It's instead being cancelled because one of the owners is an IDF fucking soldier. I right? prefer it. People just cancelled it because it was a terrible club. But you know, people in London don't really have any fucking standards. Anywhere they can go, where they can party until six a.m. and take their drugs, they'll just go. Um, there's no real fucking discernibility in terms of what makes a good or a bad club and stuff. It's a bit nonsense. But what can you do? Um, have Ravens for Palestine gone to see the victims of the Nova Festival who were all races and religions? Hey, are you boycotting other venues owned by oligarchs supporting Russia or just fixated on Israel? any of you ever been to israel palestine this is dumb though you can't just say because somebody hasn't been to palestine that they can't fucking fight for their people like that's that's fucking stupid that's the whole point of having some semblance of humanity is that you fight for people and you and you speak up for people even if you don't fucking know them and you're not from there another one says you've still owns a club under upspace holdings which is the ultimate owner of, of e1 he owns the studio space too. creative industry needs to boycott um i'm boycotting e1 i've never been but unfold has been the best experience for me to be honest i i heard it wasn't a good club yeah you're not missing anything to be honest this person elisa um, e1 literally was one of the worst clubs ever in my opinion um they just had some of the best bookings some of the best parties but as a club experience it's fucking awful um especially the security man they're ultimate vibe killers they're up there with fold with fabric security sorry e1 security and fabric security are into you can you know you can you can swap them basically and they're the same super vibe killers eclair fifi dj says i won't miss this space dj there a few times never been never had a good time um she probably won't be there again after saying that but she probably doesn't give a fuck so big up eclair fifi what would have happened if he had gone to fight for a different terror organization he would not be allowed back in the country why is this any different very good point our discrimination is fascist your discrimination is fascist you have you want everyone to think your way or no way I doubt if any of you have ever been to the re okay this is I guess this is a I guess this is a pro-Israeli stance defense if you've never been to Palestine you can't defend Palestinians okay cool you can't fight for them or advocate for them because you've never been there all right cool it's also funny the most vocal pro the most vocal pro-Israeli people are also people who don't live in Israel you know that's also the funniest thing about it the most fucking flagrant and loudest Zionists out there are also people who don't live anywhere near fucking Israel that's fucking hilarious i mean it is for you to form your opinions with all the sound-sided indoctrination and propaganda you've consumed the only fight for your survival you've had is when you're ended up in casualty after a night of booze Ooh, okay if you had to protect your families from fundamentalist terrors then you would fight and do anything what like fucking like fucking kill six-year-olds like blow up fucking hospitals is that what is that what anything means <laughs> jesus christ not one of you have mentioned the horrors committed to hamas or isis october 7th and the innocent israeli babies and children slaughtered by these barbarians all the hostages languishing in terror tunnels you're all one-sided and dim and you can't do the truth the the interesting thing about it is just it's so one-sided from what i've seen so far the casualties on the palestinian side are like over thirty thousand. israelis are like I think about one one thousand something officially from what I've seen online. Thirty thousand people, thirty thousand Palestinians have died, and only like it's just in the space of how the war started, right? From the time the original attack from Hamas happened at that music festival to now, thirty thousand Palestinians have perished, and only a thousand you know Israelis have. And here they are saying you'd never speak about October seventh. It's like, bruh. It's even more depressing if you go on Instagram and you do the geolocation thing and you search places in like, you search Tel Aviv and you search Gaza. 
you'll see people in Tel Aviv literally on the beach. You see people in Tel Aviv like chilling, walking around, having a great time. And then you go to Gaza geolocation on Instagram and you just see like rubble, rubble and like n nothing. It's like, it's so depressing. It's like, Jesus Christ. One side is like getting decimated while the other one is just living life like nothing's happening. But if you go back onto the Mixmag article, or the mixed mag post about the E1 founder resigning and go to the comments, it's completely different from what you see on the radio of Palestine. These people here are very, very pro-Israeli. So someone says here, damn, I really didn't know mixed mag followers were so pro-Israeli. Yeah, exactly. So remember how this all started when Hamas killed people at a music festival? No, just me. So very pro. I, I didn't, again, I'm surprised again. Maybe the founder, again, this is why I'm shocked by and I wish people would give me a fucking education about the link that Israeli has or the history that Israel as a country has with dance music because it seems like Israelis are everywhere bro they are really they've got a really strong or maybe it's not the Israeli thing maybe it's more of a Jewish thing maybe that's what it is but there's a lot of pro-Israeli people that are associated with the dance music scene it's really interesting um, remember when Palestine invaded that music festival and killed all those innocent people that were just listening to music and having a good time I remember Another one says here, happy to follow him. Um, thanks for the service and looking forward to dancing there. Jesus Christ, kosher deals. Um, as for all the ravers, thank you for supporting Nova Music Festival and of the 360 plus ravers who were gang raped and brutally murdered for dancing to set to, to, to the same music you don't, you dance to. Music is so unifying. Okay. So I guess they're being a little bit, um, you know, it's a little bit of sarcasm there. I don't know, you know, sarc sarcasm and you're talking about people being murdered is a bit much, but hey, another one says here, all these Israelis in the comments comparing, okay, cool, we said, another one, imagine boycotting a venue owned by someone in the rave community who went to defend his people after 360 of them were murdered, hundreds more injured, many raped and 40 taken hostage as they were done. They repeat the same thing, innit? The pro-Israeli people have the same thing they keep repeating. But what about everybody else has died since then? What about the 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 the, the scores of innocent, you know, the hundreds, the, the thousands of innocent people who've died since that one horrible event that happened in the beginning? What about that then? Is that justifiable? So if they kill three sixty, you kill thirty thousand. Is that like how you? Is that how you balance the odds? <laughs> like what the fuck are you talking about? The rave community should have held an event at the venue to honor and celebrate these people. Wow that um what sort of upside down world are we living in another one says yeah i'm i'm angry at israel as the next person but isn't idf conscription compulsory for israelis would he have been had a oh come on you can shut up you idiot another one i went to e1 and had an incredible time okay you're definitely lying no one goes to e1 and has an incredible time you might have an incredible time seeing a dj but not credible time in the club let's relax when i was traveling through london it felt like the authentic london drum and bass drum and bass which basically means no no black people in it drum and bass is like white white jungle <laughs> authentic london white <laughs> what a shame that based on one person's background and service to their country they lose their job you can't conflate one person's actions of their country mm, it's not conflation when you see them dressed up in fucking combat gear with a fucking ak-47 and shit come on bro it's truly ironic to see ravers taking the side of a group that murdered a bunch of ravers. But you didn't also, but you also probably murdered ravers. What the fuck are you talking about, bro? You guys murdered more people than they've ever murdered. Remember, this is, could have all been ended if you just gave the hostages back, but that would make too much sense. 
<sighs> as if they think it's going to end because of the hostages coming back come on man Zionist regime is working over time on this thread anyone also cringe at Zionist comments the racism and pure miseducation the comments are sickening the UK should stop worrying about the free Palestine amazing how one day Hamas is deemed a terrible organization and next is humanitarian one music industry is no place for divide when the sole purpose of the rave is to unite the world in lights and lasers okay shut up you idiot kumbaya motherfucker another one says so you wouldn't post about the massacre at the nova festival but you post about this come on come on still boycotting it big up one man legend we love him uh still still boycotting it dog sh trash of a venue anyway I agree with him on that one um another person says okay and hamas killed so many members of the dance community on october 7th honestly th these these uh pro-israeli people have the same fucking thing they just repeat all the time october 7th october there's many things that have happened since october 7th brothers um bros was slaughtering palestinian children to big room side trance how disgusting he's been hounded out by this hatred. Hamas commits rape and murder against innocent people at a music festival. And the result is that a medic who goes to Israel, to, he's a medic. You think this guy was a medic? You think this guy went there to fucking give people paracetamol and administer first aid? Is that what you think? Really? Is that what you think? You think this guy was there to be a medic? Really? Come on, bro. Let's be real. Let's be real. Let's be real. Um, Hamas commits rape and murder against into people at a music festival. The result is that a medic who goes to Israel to help the sick and the injured is targets of hate crime, madness. We must speak out against this madness. No, mate, we must speak out against fucking dog shit owners of dog shit clubs who do dog shit things and then put the whole dog shit club into disrepute because many people now have to suffer off the back of it, right? The club will probably end up shutting down or changing ownership, which would then affect people's ability to feed their family. So his own fucking selfishness and his own narcissism and his own psychopathy and his own fucking bloodlust has now led to people fucking losing their jobs. Another one here. Oh, it's a black person. Bring the hostages home. Rah, there's black pro-Israelis. Shit, I didn't know they existed. There's black Zionist. Okay. Israel intelligence knew that October festival would be a target a year in advance. A whole year. Cool, cool. I wish you a lot of success. Support my friend. The most frequented club. I'll never go again. Now I know this. I stand with the IDF, most moral army in the world. Moral armies. What does that even mean? That's an oxymoron in itself. A moral army is like fucking ethical cocaine. It doesn't make sense. Shitty venue anyway. Maybe Ravens for Palestine should organize a raving Gaza to feel better. What a bunch of has that this whole anyway whatever we've read most of it um e1 will it suffer will it come to a shattering end most likely not because most people don't care about this sort of shit this is mostly stuff that i care about when you're super involved and in the weeds with this content and with this shit when it comes to dance music but i think most people outside of my little bubble don't really care and would rather just go and rave and hear fucking you know hear fucking sarah landry drop some of her fucking big hits on the fucking dance floor go to some of their favorite djs play go and see fucking who we see here we got adana twins playing soon we've got a teletech party happening that's going to be pretty big i'd imagine we've got a berlin and london party happening with someone called bianca banks We've got a Disco Express event happening with Dan Swindle, Kobalsi playing very soon. We've got Georgia Aguili playing, who I don't know who that is. So many big people playing, so most likely no one will care. It'll move on. Everything will be as same as it was before, and it'll continue, and it'll be exactly the same thing, and it won't fucking change a single thing. That is the unfortunate nature of the game and the industry that we're in. What can we do? What can we do? Anyway, my friends. It's been the Exxon Zinger Show, episode number 749. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a pleasure to have your company as per usual. If you've enjoyed the show and you've seen what you like, you like what you've seen, please make sure you leave me a five-star review on all the podcasting apps out there that you listen to, right? There's podcasting apps such as the Apple Podcasts. There's obviously um, Spotify. They have a one as well that you can listen to. There's many platforms that you can go on and flip in, leave me a five-star review on the pod, right? It's not that hard to do. Just go on your podcast app, click the base where you leave a review and leave me a review, whether it's on Apple, whether it's on fucking Spotify, do that, leave me a five-star review let people know that you're enjoying the show on that fucking audio side of the platform that'd be so much appreciated i'd absolutely love it i'd absolutely love it love it if you could do that so please make sure that you do it's not that difficult it'll take you two minutes if it is that difficult just do it anyway because you fucking love me all right just do it because of the l-o-v space m-e of me that's all i flipping ask of you if you're watching via the audio or the video side of the pod you won't see anything else you just see a fade to black um so make sure that you kind of tune in for that one uh, my tune of the day will also be playing very soon here for those of you listening to the audio side of the podcast you hear my tune of the day playing so please make sure you hear that playing out here soon but i'll see you guys again very soon thank you for tuning in it's been a pleasure to have your company peace out take care my friends bye don't let pricks take your inch to a mile Void on Freud, bad up in She's a freight train man, watch her swing Holy water eyes, soft skin Freaks and mortar, a rise of big zombies Oh, zombies I got from your face Touch. Hold the phone, hold the clutch, watch me fly